Hello folks and welcome to this week's episode of the Shout at the Oval podcast. So at the time of recording there is five games remaining but at the time that you'll be listening there is now four games remaining and as the old cliche goes, four cup finals. The Glens are very much still in this title race although it is a long shot and hopefully you're listening to this after a victory which will certainly put us back into the mix if results go our way tonight and uh, maybe Cliftonville and Linfield draw which probably be the best result for us. This week's guest is Glen Thorn legend, former midfielder, uh, one of the bo- best box-to-box players I've ever seen play in the Irish League, Darren Lockhart. And this is an extended podcast. This goes on for two hours. Um, I got Darren on the podcast and says, oh, it'll only take an hour or so. But uh, he he just loved talking about his career. I loved asking the questions. Um, neither of us really rushed for time, so it, it went on. So you might want to split it into two segments if you don't like sitting listening to something for two hours. Uh, we go right back to Darren's career, starting off at East Belfast and how he won his first medal in football at East Belfast against Linfield in the Stevenson's Cup final on Christmas Day. So uh, from there, he played for Car- or the Welders, Carrick, Crusaders, Glenshorn, uh, back to Crusaders again, and then he had spells at uh, Ballymena Ards and Bangor. So it's a really great uh, conversation with Darren going through his career at Glenshorn especially. Um, just hearing, he's very, very funny, so it's it's great to hear some real good anecdotes from not only his time at Glenthorne but also other clubs and Crusaders fans. I put this one out to Crusaders fans too uh, in other groups because I usually don't really advertise it on my Twitter page or on Glenthorne Facebook groups but I thought that this one would be of interest definitely to Crusaders fans as he talks fondly about his time there. Um, a couple of good Kirk Hunter anecdotes and um, also Marty Quinn from when he was uh, at the latter stages of his career. So hopefully you enjoy this one. Um, Lockie is a guest that I knew I would have on here when I first started the podcast, so it's great to make that happen. So here it is, this week's episode of the Shout Out the Oval podcast with Darren Lockhart. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Shout Out the Oval podcast. And I am delighted to have with me this week, former Glenthorne midfielder and the man that Glenthorne fans have been saying we've never replaced, Darren Lockhart. Lockie, welcome to the podcast and thanks for coming on. No, thanks for inviting. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have me watched it. So as I said earlier, it'd be good to catch up on some of the, the other podcasts and things that you've uh, recorded. No, happy days. It's, it's good to have a, a former former player on. I've done a lot of former players lately, and it's really good to go through the um the career you've had, the career they've all had. It's um very nostalgic. Um, thinking back on those days, it's the same not that long away, but in the grand scheme of things, they probably are. Yeah, I, I mean, it's only when you see Elliot still playing and Michael Holiday still playing that you go, Frig, it's not that long ago. But when I look back, it seems it seems an age. I think it's about maybe 13, 14 years since I've played. So it's it's quite a while. Yeah, that's it. I think it was 15, 15 years since you left the Glens. Um, and as you say, Michael Holiday's still playing. Um, Elliot, obviously, about to wrap it up. It's, it's crazy. They've got, especially Michael, has, must have some energy in those legs. Well, I, I see a lot of, oh, I see a bit of both of them, but especially Michael. I still keep good touch with Michael, and he's uh, he's still fit. He's he's obviously he's uh, <laughs> he's not getting the game time you'd like, he, and he's still hungry to play. Speaking to him, but he's uh, he's still looking fit, and he's still training twice a week, and uh, he's still obviously putting the effort in as well. Fair play, it can't be easy. 
So we'll yeah. get we'll get stuck in. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to start off, uh, Lockie, with the very start of your career. Um, and it's very Glenthorne centric podcast, so we'll be plenty of talk about the Glens. But you started your career at East Belfast, and that's where you got your first taste uh, of silverware because the team that you played in actually won the Stevenson's Cup against Linfield, and to top it all off, you scored a winner. So that must have been nice, especially growing up as a Glen man. Yeah, yeah, I would. Even at the East Belfast thing, I, I wasn't playing at all at that stage. I would, I'd sort of went through a spell where I'd struggled with a, a bit of a back injury from sort of school. So I hadn't played, I hadn't played in years. And it was, it was a friend, it was actually a school friend the night out, uh, pleaded with me to come down to East Belfast. And uh, he says, look, you can come and uh, get a bit of that belly off and a bit of a beer belly back then, which wasn't good. So uh, it was a, a good friend, a Jason Allen, not the Jason Allen, the footballer, but another Jason Allen from school that, uh, he had sort of played it with me and down, and uh, the two of us after a Friday night out um, headed down to a pre-season on a on a Saturday morning, which wasn't a great idea at the time. But uh, it uh, it ended up I fell in love with the club. I know I only stayed there for a year, but I mean, it had probably one of the best, funniest years in in, in football. And uh, and I ended up yeah, we win the Stephen Sons and uh, and the first goal um, um, we we'll win the league that year as well, which was nice. And sort of left at the end of that season, so it didn't last long. But, Hopefully, uh, um, no. I still look back on that first trophy, that that Stephen Sons. That was that was an awesome day. I was, uh, I mean, that was Sea View, and the place was packed out. And of course, you had people that go religiously near enough to the uh, to the, the Christmas Day game. But what you had then is you you usually everybody going in your Linfield with strong strong support. So the place was packed, but absolutely brilliant day. I still still remember it well. What's it like winning that on Christmas Day? Because um, obviously Christmas is a traditional. You got you spend with your family, you have your Christmas dinner, and that. I'm sure if you win the win a trophy on Christmas Day, it's sort of your normal Christmas plans go out the window. Well, I, I've never been to a Christmas Day game ever, and still have my back. I mean, because I, I I always enjoy my Christmas Day with the family, and uh, we have always done that. So, um, I've lots of friends always go, and they, they've always invited me along. It's something I've never ever thought about going to uh, and uh, even that day prepping for it it was it was it was so weird leading up to it because you usually uh, you know prepping uh, I mean we always put out Christmas Eve for a few beers and things in the town and uh, even just uh, we trained a few days leading up to it and the all focus was off Christmas which was strange and it was all on football and uh, and in time when I when I then signed for the Glens I then used the big two games of Boxing Day you, you just sort of your focus was off Christmas and always on football at that stage. So that was the first time I see that there was a real focus on you no know, sort of the game and not on Christmas. And uh, yeah, it was. I mean, even the whole prep and lead up to it. Back then, um, the guy Jim Wilson that uh, was the manager and he has well prepped for the game. You no, know, the train leading up to it, everything was good. We're all looking after ourselves leading up to it, and knowing that uh, we're playing Linfield, and it, albeit their 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 seconds. The the put out an absolutely amazing team. Like I, I still remember that day, Stephen Baxter and things playing Ricky Wade. They're a fantastic side out, and and everybody thought right because um, they're just showing up for a, for a football lesson, and it was anything but that. Well, I always remember you as um, a Crusaders player prior to the move to Glenthorne, but that's probably because that's the year that I really started to take notice of football, and that's as far back as my memory would go. But you actually had spells at Carrick and the Welders prior to your move to Crusaders. What's your memory uh, of your time at those clubs, and did you notice the jump up initially from East Belfast? Because you said you weren't playing football for a while, so from East Belfast to then the Welders, and then from the Welders to, to Carrick. 
Um, yeah, it probably more in fitness. No, the fitness levels when you go through all those stages, uh, and that's the big thing because I've seen amateur league players over the years that are fantastic. Actually, there, there was a guy at Sirocco when I was managing the guy, uh, colleague, uh, uh, Kong Collier, G, uh, Jimmy Collier's brother. And this guy was absolutely fantastic. Why is he not playing at that top level? Because you, you, you can see you can see the players, you can see them technically good. There was a guy, George Blackstock, that played at the East when I was there. And he was the same. He was tackling on Rio and he was at Stoke, come back from Stoke. So you had these players, and I thought, why are these not playing at a higher level? And there's quite a few of them that had played at levels and sort of dropped down. But for me, there, there was a couple of things. Fitness, the, the fitness levels, as you go up each of the layers, you see a difference. You even see it from amateur and the sort of what was the then B division, now championship level. And you definitely, there's a massive jump beyond that then. You see the, the levels, the fitness levels. And and in the, the the dedication levels, then get into the the play at the Premiership. So you do see all the levels. And one of the things I noticed, even going from from East Belfast to Welders, um, and and I mean that stage, there were several other players went from the East to the Welders. That was part of the reason for the move. There were a lot of friends, and then the manager also moved. So um, that sort of made my mind up to stay with that bunch of friends. And uh, but you did, you seen you no. Know, Slightly better pitches, you no know, better setups, uh, and have better players, and uh, and you improve you know, with the better players around you. You improve as well. So there's always that. There's there's a you no know, there's testing yourself against better and better players. So there was a slight jump up between East and the Welders, and the season and a half I had at the Welders. I mean, as well as we're done, we didn't win anything, and I, I noticed fitness levels in some of the teams. Like you had a very good luck all team back then. Great Dingen and Swiss team on that level. And uh, they're all well coached and played some great football. And they were all tough, tough games. Um, so, I mean, I did notice that, that step up. And then, again, Carrick were up another level. They were uh, what, what would be Championship 1 now. Um, and they were, to be fair to they weren't a they weren't a bad side. They put together, you know, a lot of sort of Irish League players. And you could see just the, the, the difference in the... Maybe more the, I'm saying the fitness and the mentality as well. Just the the work out a bit harder, uh, especially in your game and and know, uh, think about your game a bit more. And you sort of again that you see knocking up another level that when you when you sort of went to Crusaders. I mean that was a big jump from character Crusaders at that stage. Well, from from Carrick, you did enjoy uh, you did join Crusaders, and it was an impressive Crusaders team as it was a team that were reigning champions at the time. And how did that move come about? Uh, but there was a, I mean, when I'd left East Belfast at the time, there was a lot of interest. So, like, even back then, Portadown, Glenturn, uh, Linfield were all interested in me. And I'd only literally get back and form football and was only sort of involved the season. And uh, I actually, I, I was enjoying it. It wasn't about money or anything financial. That's It was just literally pure enjoyment of the game and, and being around friends. And I loved that side. I loved the social side of it back then. And... Uh, and when I moved to Carrick, I was still very social. And uh, it was only then when I sort of playing at Carrick for a bit. You know, would, I mean, I always remember playing against the Glens in an Irish Cup game. They beat us 1-0. And um, you know, people were saying, oh, the Glens are after you, the Blues are after you, Crusaders and all these clubs. And uh, it was it was one of, the, one of the coaching staff at that stage said, I, you're not fit enough. You don't look after yourself. You don't, no, you don't. 
do the right things. And I, I had, I got myself to a good level of fitness, but uh, no, it hit home with me that, you know, Frank here, maybe, maybe I need to work a wee bit harder. Maybe I need to watch what I eat. Uh, maybe I should stop the kebab and pizzas. That was a hard one. <laughs> and I didn't stop them all together. <laughs> they were my favourite this Saturday night. But um, yeah, I, if I would say anything, that bit of motivation for somebody, you know, it hurt at the time, know that somebody telling you're not committed enough when you think you are, but you only train them maybe two nights a week. So after that, um, I, I, even though it's still, while still at Carrick, uh, the manager was um, Colin Crawford at the time. And then John Muldoon took over. And I, I was during that sort of takeover period. I just I thought, right, I'm going to knuckle down. And I really did. I, I know I stayed in the weekends, looked after myself, um, trained really hard, trained sometimes seven times a week. and got myself to a real good level of fitness. And, and when I decided then, when Roy Walker spoke to Roy Walker, and Roy was fantastic. You know, I mean, it, it was actually easy to sign for Roy. I mean, he wouldn't have. <laughs> and I wouldn't take much finances for people to sign for Roy because he's the sort of guy, he's just a gifted communicator. And uh, I spoke to Roy and uh, after after about a 15, 20 minute phone, uh, phone guard, uh, conversation with him, I decided yeah, I'm going to Crusaders. And I, I, at that stage, I think it was, um, it was halfway through the season as well. So my first training session uh, was on a, a Thursday night. And we'll play it out the pitch, the old grass pitch at Seaview. And uh, uh, I was interested. I, I think the first session, that, from what I remember, the two Arthur brothers get injured and one or two other players get injured in a training session on a Thursday night. The tackles were flying in and the intensity of the game uh, was brilliant. Now, we didn't have any of the, with a, with a group of players that Tony, the coach used to bring up, Tony O'Connell. They were all Southern based. So this was just the Northern boys all playing. And it was freaking, it was rough. You the likes of Big Kirk playing in the tackles and training and doing and you had all these players and you, you know a, a, I mean, it's a raft of unbelievable talent. You uh, and I still look back at that team. And I, thought, I think they went two or three trophies up to that, and you can see why. They were all strong, strong characters. They've all been in the game a long time. Now I still, when I look at old photos, you see loads of photos of on Dorn that and you near enough forget the career he had at Crusaders. Uh, he, uh, he was an awesome player and as a player too he was a great motivator When I, he was one of the ones who did in the team there was him there was Kirk there was Big Stanley and they're easy to play with them because uh, no, we're just uh, and it wasn't even football it was just sometimes a bit of confidence no do what you done last week you were brilliant last week no things like that from senior players that's been there a long time it was very easy to settle in and, and I mean that first week um I think well, I was on the bench for the Saturday game. I mean, even just that whole environment, get into the first week. And no, I only played a few months with Carrick when it, when it left. No, so I was only there a few months and then left and went to, went to Crusaders. And just the, the step up and the environment, the change room, it was it was brilliant, brilliant environment. Crusaders, those those early days were Crusaders, such a family club as well. Um, so you no, know, all the families over they were they were taken by the hand, they were looked after, um, and that, that sort of ethos throughout the club. It still stands well today. You no, know, it's still over, and you're still welcomed really well. So get into that and and be made right from the very training session. You no, know, to feel welcome. I mean, I still remember the the, the first uh, the first uh, match match day. And uh, uh, Roy Walker, had, he was picked a team. And uh, of course, then he named it the Saturday. And, and I didn't know until then where I was playing, where I was the bench, where I wasn't playing. But there must have been about 20 odd players. I thought, 
am I going to get on here? Am I starting? Am I, I just no idea. And I was on the bench and I was actually a bit disappointed. I thought, maybe a bit. I can off me at the time thinking, why am I not starting? I don't enjoy the club. But um, I was on the bench anyway and uh, uh, I ended up getting on at half time. But even, even just that first team talk, uh, no, just the level, the team talk was brilliant. Roy, just a gifted, gifted coach. And uh, and then you had a guy, Tony O'Connell, his assistant, and he was mad as a hatter. He was absolutely brilliant as well. I mean, I still remember he, he kicked a bag, and I think it hit Big Kirk, or it hit one of the boys when he kicked the bag. And I thought, he's a trouble now. The Kirk all get up to him. They all put their heads down. I thought, who is this guy? Uh, we old man with a Russian hat and Frank <laughs> big overcoat. And I thought, oh man, I think he was a friend of Harry Corey originally. And then he was, uh, was he with Shelburne? And so he was helping bring the likes of Liam Dunn, Mick Deacon, uh, Colin, all those boys up. And he'd done that for years. So he was the, the assistant manager. And I mean, that first day, it was, it was so so funny, you know that the, the environment, the change room was good fun with the boys. But um, and you, you had a good split. You had then the, the what they called the God Squad within the team, and the banter. You had Kirk on one side, all big backs to the other, and and you had, you, had, you had a team with with Glendon up in it, which was what a player. I mean, right from the first week, you, this guy, what's he doing playing at this level? He's so so good. Um, and they when they all take you under their wing and look out for you, it. It makes football fun a lot easier, uh, and it was great. Sort of, uh, just it was a great environment to play in. It was a, there wasn't a pressure that you probably that you didn't get later on in the career playing tournament things. But yeah, the, the the those early days were just easy. It was just going and enjoying football for what it was, and and even the first game. I mean, I think it was Bellamino. Uh, I can't remember. What, it was a draw anyway, but I think we we're one or two down, and. Uh, I literally come on second half, just in the second half, and first couple of touches across the ball, scored, and it was like that was it, and that was sort of me then. Sort of, I don't think I, after that I was out of the team, and um, so yeah, that was that was a that sort of the introduction into the actual league at that stage. I mean, it was an extremely talented uh, Crusaders team, and the maybe then fell. They started to fall away a wee bit, uh, especially after that league win. They finished sixth, um, and then I think they finished third. But what are your what are your highlights overall? Your time playing for Crusaders because I know that there's definitely a hat trick against the Glens in there, and um, that must have been a bit strange. I think it was superior. I mean, some of the yeah, there's some cracking games. I mean, the the, the Derby games against Cliftonville. The, I mean, the, the the year Cliftonville win the league with with um, uh, Marty Hunter manager. They had a great great side. I mean, I was on the play with the likes of Tim and that, and Tim and is that side, but. They had uh, they were an aggressive, seriously aggressive side back then. You had to win the league, and with some some brave encounters of those, uh, there was uh, I mean the day the day of shame they called it in the Irish league. That's right. Where you uh, <laughs> just uh, well you you Kirk Hunter fighting the whole Cliftonville side is that what you But but leading up to that, there was there's a lot of stories in behind that. No, we, we played them I think two or three weeks previous to that, and uh, their centre half one of the, one of our centre halves. Caught me, uh, dear. Uh, I think it was just in the start of the second half, and I thought it broke my leg, but I carried off and knee all swollen. I thought, oh, dear, I'm going to be out for months. And of course, as I get carried off the stretcher, Kirk Hunter goes on, 
and I'm the old, any of the players listen to this, they'll know the old Cliftonville changing rooms with the, the red doors and the gaps between them. And you can go to the toilet or anything with big gaps. But uh, the, the old doors were sitting half off the hinges. And uh, I, I just remember laying the, 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 the old treatment table and uh, the door getting you know, kicked in off the hinges. And uh, I didn't know what was happening. I looked, and was Big Kirk come in. Because I sorted him out for you, son, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh. That was a few weeks. So you could set off that one. And he was only just back the, the, for the, the, the second game. Uh, and that was, a, well, I mean, it was hilarious at that time. But, I mean, we just sit and think the whole scenario behind that. The, no, what had happened was, uh, when I all says, Big Kirk was provoked <laughs> twice. Um, the, 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 well, when I say twice, the first time it dawned to sort of to protect one of the younger lads in the squad, and the second time then somebody allegedly spat on him, which uh, that's what created the the the, the sort of shame in the actually because I think that same day, um, a young Justin McBride and Pete Bain and a few other ones had a bit of a go at some of the infield players. <laughs> And I think the women suspended as well. So, yeah, I always remember that. I remember it because of just the stories leading up to it. But in terms of football, uh, the, the football side of things, yeah, I mean, there was a couple of a few good hat tricks. Um, there was the one at the Oval, which Frank, uh, Big Labour always reminds me of. He was marking me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, 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 that one. Because, yeah, I mean, look, I lived in Harkness Parade, um, number one. So, as you come down the, the steps at D Street, um, you've got the you've got the bottom of steps. You have the gate uh, going down the back of the sort of Harkness Bridge. It's the first house I lived in when I was a kid for years. So that 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 house we for many years with our windows put in, usually by them feeling Cliftonville. Oh, so nice. yeah, so they they had walk down. You had thousands back then walking down the front of the street before they put that back path down. And uh, so I always remember my old granda. My granda lived at number twenty one, and we lived at number one. So I'm sure if you Linfield and and and, and Cliftonville supporters remember him, he used to go out and chase them with sticks and he was he's mad as a hatter. But uh, he used to say to me uh, when we were, I was only a child uh, and I was me and I was in his house sort of most Saturdays when there was a game on, and he uh, we used to go out the back. And he used to get his coal back then and throw the coal over at them because they're all kicking the back door, and he used to throw the coal and of course I'm throwing the coal straight out over the wall. Get under the railway line, and he's he's telling me off. He said, well, "You're wasting coal. Throw it at an angle." So you had them <laughs> coming up. I was only about nine at the time. So, so yeah, yeah. I mean, so I lived uh, I lived in Harkness Parade. So I was uh, no, we all supported the Glens. There wasn't too many blue men in that area, uh, so we all supported the Glens. So even the 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 going player, they always brilliant. I mean, the number of times I played there against them, and then yes, any time I scored, it was. They were always delighted to score. It's scoring against your own sort of your club you supported, and you know you always want to prove people wrong and things. So, I'd, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd scored a few against them over the years, uh, and uh, no, I always always enjoyed it. I know people say, "Oh, don't score, don't celebrate <laughs> against them," but Frank, I always did celebrate. So yeah, I always have a laugh with Libra. He always reminds me of the hat trick now. No, that's great. Um, you're right. You have to celebrate. You have to celebrate no matter who you're scoring against. They hate that other thing where players don't celebrate against their former clubs. Short career, you know, and you never know when, what goals are last. So you have to. I mean, it's a it's a game. I mean, people, yeah, now there's so much money in it and everything else. But I mean, we all we we'll go to watch it. They enjoy it. We don't always enjoy what we we'll watch, and we don't always enjoy how we we'll play. 
but at the end of the day, you know, Frankie, you're blessed to be playing football. You're absolutely blessed. You, you've seen that more in, probably in the pandemic than ever, when that was the only thing that kept people going, even though it was behind closed doors. You're watching them online. You're watching. I mean, that was great. See, it was streaming, all the streaming the games. Oh, it was brilliant. Watching all the local stuff. I, I, I actually love that. I do love the local game as well. I think it's freaking, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great that you could get the streams everywhere. Brilliant. It was, it was definitely, and it sort of kicked us on the pandemic. It was maybe a bit of a blessing in disguise because you get a bit more on t- BBC or showing a match every week. Now it's great. I love sitting on a Friday night. And, and that's one of the things I used to watch a lot of the Ulster rugby on a Friday night, and now I'm back watching all the local football. And it is brilliant. The, the, the levels improved, the fitness levels, the players' technique, I know the, the, the patterns of playing the games. You notice a lot of that. A lot of teams, the Glens are great at it. Mick, McDermott is doing a revelation in terms of playing out from the back and the patterns of playing the football. It's actually really good to watch. And you're seeing it with Lauren doing the same thing. Limfield has been good out from the back and, and probably the big one for me this year watching them um, has been Cliftonville. They have been, they have been really, really, they've been good to watch. And when you watch all this football, the players now, every player near enough comfortable in the ball. No, all of a sudden the games, probably I'd like to see a lot more goals. But yeah. because it's got so technical, you're probably you're not seeing the level of goals you once would have seen. You're not seeing any five and six nil games really. Uh, it's all sort of close encounters now. But but it is. It, I mean, it's it's a good spec though. It's good for the ball. You're not seeing as much. You no, know, um, one balls or balls in behind. They're they're trying to you know open up opportunities by playing good football. Yeah, it gets harder as the season goes on. This stage of the season, the pitches are awful at the minute. Um, so that you definitely can notice more of it now. But certainly, Cliftonville, best team we played this season. They've been great. And I watched, I watched a few of the games against the hand. I mean, the game at Solitude. Um, I when patches were really good, but Cliftonville. I mean, the second half and that game was good at football as I've seen. And I've, yeah. I watching watching the likes of Lauren as well on and Linfield. They've been and even now. Crusaders, no, I watched the Crusaders Cliftonville game, Crusaders they've been playing some really great stuff as well so the, the whole league's improved and you know, with those top teams improving it's helping the other teams because you're even seeing, like, carry some of the results they've got, Dungannon no, Dungannon, oh, right, I yeah. think three or four in the banks there and they're playing some really good football as well so you're seeing all the teams want to play I don't know, I, I'm maybe they do, you, you probably see you have an opportunity to probably play a wee bit more now in the league as well, just the way they're setting up. You know, they're all setting up to play and, and maybe give they give each other possession in terms of in their own halves or at least around their own goal area. They're not pressing high the teams anymore and allows that bit of football from the back out. I mean, I, I always remember any games against Cliftonville, Linfield, Crusaders, you know, everybody press you right up a pitch and they're not pressing you on their keeper. But now they're sort of uh, that the high pressure game press really, really high. They're, it hasn't happened as much, but they're allowing some good football. And it gets players comfortable with the ball to play out. So, it, so um, going, going sort of back to your um, career, you got your move to, to Glen Thorne um, in 2000. And I can't imagine what receiving that call as a Glen man must have been like, but it could have actually all been very different because you were originally you were looking to go to air originally and then you decided against it and many people might not know this but you were basically all but signed for Linfield so how how, how did that how then did you end up signing for Glen Thorne because I remember um it was in the papers at the time but David Jeffrey was signing you and it was near, near enough done deal I, I you, you know probably the Glens didn't show the interest uh, that 
that I thought they were going to show uh, at that time. And uh, maybe they had at that stage that the Rory, that Pete Bailey, that, um, that that Scotty Young, the Tim, uh, that Stuart Elliott still at that stage, he just he hadn't left just when I was talking to him. But um, and I thought maybe they had a what they felt was a strong enough squad. So they didn't. They, they approached me a bit later than what what um, what Linfield did and and Ur. Obviously, the Ur thing the Ur thing was more or less agreed. So the Ur United had offered me a two-year contract, and I wanted a three. And I went and played some friendly games for them, and uh, and everything was going really well. And just my wife was pregnant at that stage, and I thought, no. And I started a, a wee business and things, and I thought, oh, do they move? And the finances for going to the Ur were good at that stage, really good. That a company bar construction that they've just started to sponsor and put a lot of money into the club for rebuilding and things. Uh, that Gordon Dial, the uh, ex Rangers player, was the manager. So, and, and they were bringing players in from all over Europe at that stage. So, you no, know, the likelihood is they were pushing for promotion. I went over and I, I remember the, the, the game would, 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 I think we could beat 3 2. And I was really disappointed. The friendly game I played for, but I scored two, and I, and I played really well. And uh, I thought, no, maybe full time would be a good thing for me. And it was one of those ones I was just trying to weigh up what to do. And uh, bear in mind, no, it wasn't long back in football. No, I'd went sort of a couple of years Crusaders, Glenturn, or, or sorry, uh, uh, a year and a half at the Welders, Carrick, uh, a few months, and then I was only really at at. Uh, Crusaders for a season when that happened. So it all happened pretty quickly. And I thought, well, what, what, what do you what do? You do? And, uh, and I did, I, I sort of fancied full-time football and I sort of talked to my wife and I thought, right, I'll travel and I wasn't going to stay there. But they, they needed me to relocate. And uh, I thought, right, okay, I'll relocate my own. I'll go home after the games at the weekend. And uh, I just, it was bounced about in my head. And, and I, I still remember going to... Uh, uh, one of the games and after one of the games coming out and the manager was mad I, I want to say mad he was brilliant but he um, he was very all players giving them what for and I thought I could not listen to that every week I mean listen to Walker and Jim Wilson and Roy Coyle was bad enough but this <laughs> guy was mixed together multiplied by 10 and I thought hey, can I listen to that and uh, and that, that was one of the things that stuck in my head. I thought, maybe maybe this manager's not for me. Now, there was talk of St. Johnston at that stage and a couple of other clubs. But when I come home, um, David Jeffries for me. And to be fair to him, I mean, he, he could probably, that guy could sell snow to the Eskimos. <laughs> he, he just knew how to sell a football club to you. And uh, and he was, he was very sharp because even before I'd agreed to do anything, he'd med- medical done. And I was like, right, I hadn't decided where to go or not, but the medical law was done anyway. And uh, he said, like, go on off your contract and and, uh, and would more or less, I hadn't signed anything, but more or less my head, I thought, right, okay, this is, this is the one. And then um, I'd spoke to Roy Coyle, and, and I'll be fair at the time, I didn't think Roy had the same interest in me as what David Jeffries had. And uh, I thought, right, I'm going to move. And then it was old uh, Jimmy Jameson, friend of mine, uh, uh, and he'd been around the house several occasions, convincing me, no, you need to go to the Oval, you need to go to the Oval. And he was at me and at me and at me, and I was like, oh, Jimmy, I'm just not sure. No, I, I trained with the Blues, and training all went well. And uh, I thought, 
no, I didn't. I actually didn't think the Glens had enough interest at that stage. And it was Jimmy, he kept calling, kept calling. And I thought, yeah, here, you know what? I was like, I was meant to sign for Linfield on Monday. And I spoke to Jimmy again on the, Roy Coyle sent him back to Random House on the Sunday. And uh, I went and met him and agreed terms with the Glens then. And uh, sort of signed for the Glens on the Monday instead of Linfield. So, uh, of course, uh, it didn't go down too well. <laughs> I was going to say, how did David Jeffrey take that? I'm sure it went down well. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that, listen, he's probably had more success signing players than most, so missing one or two didn't do him any harm. He'd uh, he'd win a lot of trophies after that, and anyway, so I'm sure that didn't make that much difference to him. But no, look, it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a nice conversation. Let's just say <laughs> it was probably yeah. So it was wasn't a bad first season for you at the Oval. Uh, you won a Gold Cup, a League Cup, a County Antrim Shield, and the Irish Cup. And we'll obviously touch on the Irish Cup win shortly because. Uh, I think it was talking with the other ones because there were so many trophies available back then. It felt like the Glens were in a cup final every few months. I think you even scored in the Gold Cup final. That was the 4-3 one, wasn't it? It was like that. This is, this is a strange thing. It's weird. You get that used. To say this, you used to win in football and and Roy Coyle put a, an unbelievably strong team together. I mean, this was a, a manager that I think the year I signed, I think he let... Um, uh, on the Vango, for instance, which was the shock. Uh, so you, you players like Devine and things, and I thought, Frank, and Elliot went, and Andy Kirk went, and I thought, oh, I'm going into Glen Turnside. It's still strong, but but when I went into it, my, my word, there was some fantastic talent right the whole way to the team. I mean, even back then, you you Nicky, Nicky was in his prime. Back then, that you had Paul Lehman come to, you had all these, you know, big names now that went on and spent years and years at the club. And they were they were hungry, really, really hungry then as well. And you no, know, then uh, Roy a year later, he had Mark Lane, Denny, Jack Gary Smith. But you no, know, you had strength and depth in every area, and even Elliot coming into the side as well. Um, so yeah, I mean that first that first season, no, I, I would, I mean, I was unsure how it was going to go. You no, know, it was a different management style with Roy Coyle than than it was with Roy Walker, and. Um, Roy, Roy Walker, Roy Coy would have been a lot more standoffish, and, and Roy Roy Walker would have been you no know, arm around you a lot more and looking after you. So it was two con- contrasting styles. But I mean, the, the uh, Roy Coyle, you no, know, there was a bit more fear in that coaching and you no know, playing well, but also not just with that, also came with the club. So when you play, a lot of players will tell you this when you go to the Glen Turn, and I suppose them fit. Yeah, there's a there's an added pressure, an added expectation that I didn't probably see so much at other clubs. Now that there's that's not taking success away from other clubs that they have, especially the likes of Crusaders. But the, there was that expectation, especially within the supporters, um, the big support fan base and things. But then, and when you live in the area, bear in mind you're, you're a young lad that you know was in Harkness Parade and then moved the couple of streets away to Ripple Street and still played. Sort of, so I was uh, I was always in that area, and so you never escaped you never escaped criticism when you played poorly. Uh, so there was an expectation. So and and even the teams come to play, yeah, you know, there was always you knew the players were up for the game. So you would maybe played against players uh, when I was playing for Crusaders and other teams, and they were decent players. But all of a sudden, when they came and played for you when you were playing for the Glen, I think that the they were brilliant against you. And you're going, oh dear. 
the, the they should have been like that every week and they probably weren't. So you got players raising their game and you also got the expectation of the crowd and you had the expectation of the of the, the management team as well. So that early days, the oval was a sort of an eye opener for me. And and I, I I felt I had to actually up my game and and I'd probably uh, thicken my skin a wee bit and and you know have a, a stronger mentality. Um and, and that sort of took a few months to develop that sort of thicker skin mentality. Don't listen to any of anybody because you can't please everybody in football. And every <laughs> I mean, I watch a lot of football, and I'm, I'm no, I watch certain players. You think they're not good enough, and this and no, and and even a sports first from a sense. And uh, you watch Harry Kane, and he is world class. If you watched him earlier in the season, I think you should have sold him the man said he's weak. But <laughs> yeah, he is world class. So uh, football, football is very much like that. Even when you're winning, when you're doing well. And those early days that no were expected to win and expected to win well every week and also expected to play very well. And no, that doesn't always happen. So you, you had to, that expectation, you had to have a thick skin, but it also kept you in your game. It kept you highly motivated. It kept that sort of fire in your belly, make sure that you weren't letting anybody down. You weren't letting your family down. You weren't letting your teammates down, your club. Um, so it kept a high, high expectation. There was a high expectation level, which kept a sort of high level of focus and fitness, and you made sure you kept yourself right. So I think I noticed that more at the Glens than anywhere else. Uh, I sort of played. Well, um, yeah, there's no uh, higher expectation than a than a big two cup final, which is what you got in your first season, the 2001 cup final. Um, that was special. Uh, beating Linfield in extra time, but I actually remember could have not gone the extra time. You hit the bar earlier on in that game, but what was yeah. your, what, what are your memories of that day? Uh, this might sound weird. See, because you, you played each other so many times in the games, it, the focus back then was you no know, do all you could to win that game, and your next focus was in the very next game. So when we were winning. When we were winning cup finals and, and competing in big games, you know, as soon as they were over, they were. This sounds weird. We didn't. We're rarely outside of that. You no, know, Irish cup wins. See the midweek cup wins and things. You no know, Coca Cola cups and things like. That. We didn't get to celebrate them because yeah, we right. were probably doing a day or two. So it was so strange. Half the time I was I was going home, and and I always. I mean, I get into a box a lot, so. I expended a lot of energy playing, so it was up and down and up and down the pitch. And what tended to happen was, you no, know, I, I went home after a game, had something to eat, went to bed, up for work next day, usually in bits because you'd run so much. You no, know, um, and and any knocks and things you took were dead legs and differently. And you were just getting normal work next day, and then you were training the next night. So and it was the next game on a Saturday. And I'd seen the routine like that, so a lot of the a lot of the memories, uh, no, of the game, they were just they were so short lived at the time because you didn't, and and probably I regret it now, not trying to save other stuff more, because no, it's the same as the trophies, the medals, the tops, the all the stuff you had with it. I mean, I I, I, I've, I don't even have a top anymore. I always thought it was oh, it would be nice to keep a top and put it up, and you no, know, have you ever got grandkids show them, but. <laughs> Maybe if, if somebody's listening, they've any of my old shirts you can donate them back to me. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean the, the, those covers, I they're they're a blur, and that's though no, I'd say they want gold here and there, and it's, it's maybe things like that. That and the games passed so quickly back then. It was 
it was scary, especially the the what you call any of the big two games, whether league or cup. What tended to happen there is that the the games were that intense, and there wasn't in a lot of them there wasn't a lot of great football played. I always remember that's the one thing in my career that sort of was disappointing. Though I played against Linfield for all other teams, and you get to play a bit of football. The Glenshaw and Linfield games, there wasn't a lot of football played in them. Um, they were so tight that uh, no, and and the defences didn't take much chances. So what you had is you had a lot of balls going directly over the midfield and maybe getting behind or in the front man. And probably that's I suppose that's why when, when especially Linfield when when the likes of Glenn Ferguson signed for them, they were so good because they they done it all the time. You no, know, you all your keeper or the one of the fullbacks or one of the back four would have hit spike really early and they had been turning you and you were on the back foot against them and if he had held the ball up and win it then no at least they had to play deep in your half and it was the same when we done the same thing and you were deep in her half so we sort of you end up there wasn't there weren't great games that there were a lot of those games you cancelled each other out and it was I mean a lot of it was no fitness and first to the ball getting a good first touch no um, and, and there weren't I mean the early games anyway, there was never any high scoring games. They were all so so tight. No, a lot of two ones, one each, one those, things like that. So yeah, it wasn't they weren't all great memories of those games because there weren't a lot great winning. Yeah. Afterwards you you get a result against them. And it, it was brilliant. But during the game there, there weren't brilliant games to play in. Yeah. Now, yeah. yeah different people have different thoughts on them. But I always just remember them as being no, I don't know where probably Big Jeffrey sent a load of his boys out to kick me, but tricks I, 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 people say you were aggressive lock in. I remember coming off those games black and blue. <laughs> no, all sorts of injuries and broken cheekbones, broken fingers, broken all sorts of things. And I've gone, no, the, the, the weren't the weren't games where you were able to fall down and play a lot back then. Yeah, no, Leaper said something similar. He says that it was hard to enjoy because there's the nerves as well. You know, you didn't want to make a mistake. You were just so tuned in on the on the game and the crowd and everything that was there. It was, you couldn't enjoy it until after until you, you knew the outcome. Well, was, there was a frustration as a midfielder. There was a frustration because you, you, you sort of you were chasing a lot of balls going from one defence to the other. And uh, when, you, when you did get it down, you wanted to play. And every time you got it down, you were, you were up in the air by a tackle. So there was a lot of, I mean, I always draw a lot of free kicks, but uh, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, I managed it years ago, a uh, coach years ago at Carrie gave me some great advice. Uh, yeah, I always liked to run with the ball early early days and, and those games, you couldn't run with it because a lot of the Irish games was very hard to run with the ball because it was aggressive. There was a, no, you got a lot, uh, compared to today's game, you got away with a lot more. No, you had a lot more, no leeway and a, maybe a tackle from the side or behind or or a, no an arm up and no I'm, I'm well versed in that I've scars everywhere but you, you got away with a lot more back then um that you obviously wouldn't get away with now so even running with the ball we 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 great players Nicky uh, Tim McCann up the right side they were great one twos and running with the ball and you get away there is seeing a compactor in midfield. Anytime you turned to run with it, you were hit quite quickly. And usually if somebody didn't tackle you, you had another one onto you tackle you. So it was it was actually those games were they were hard to do the things you like to do. You know, I always like to drive forward with a ball and you didn't always get to do that because it was almost somebody telling you, pulling you or, or a tackle. So a lot of those games, it was, 
I always find it frustrating because you couldn't play the one. The, they just stopped. They never fight each other. They stopped you playing. They stopped you doing what you like to do. And I don't know why that was something based in their management or their style of play, but I always just find every time I got the ball, somebody was like hitting me really early. And there weren't always great challenges either. Well, the following season after that um, was a bit of disappointment. We lost out the final day of the season um, on the league title. They poured it down. Uh, they won about a point. They actually went 1-0 down too. Um, but we didn't have to bounce back uh, the next season because it was 2002-2003. Uh, um, it was special. Uh, was that the best team you played in? Yeah, probably was. That, that, it's funny you say that. God, it, it, it's strange that the, the things you lose, you probably remember more than the things you win. Because it hurts probably that bit more. And that season, that put it down season, we lost the league with one point. I still remember that last game. Actually, I remember that last game um, against Coleraine probably more than I remember any of the other things we win. Um, that, that, that was a horrible, horrible feeling. Because we had been absolutely flying that season. And I, I mean, I thought nobody's going to stop us. We were so good. And we played Port of Down. Who had a great side that year. They had Arkins and Hamilton up front for them, knowing that the that Collins had shared it all. He's Richard Clark did a great, great side, a really strong side, an aggressive side as well. We played them at the oval and we were two up. And I always remember, the reason being, I scored a goal that I always remember as one of my best. And that's not one people ever asked me about, but I just remember the movement off it, getting the ball, and just I caught it so sweet, it was less in the corner. Uh, top sort of my top, top left keepers right, and I, I was I'd love to see that recorded. No, one it was one of those goals because the movement up to it was like a one-two. It was quick, quick touch, dragged a pass and hit, and we were two up, and I got sent off. I think myself it was our Darren Armour, Chris Walker. It was Chris Walker get sent off. Chris get sent off first, and then I got sent off. And actually, rarely says I got sent off for nothing. Um, this time I, I, I win a ball against Richard Clark. And I dragged it away from Richard Fell, but I actually didn't catch him. I actually dragged the ball away. I mean, you didn't catch him. So I went to run, the referee blew the whistle. And it was Arkins, I think. And Arkins swung for me, actually. <laughs> so, of course, I reacted. But I didn't catch him, but I reacted right away. And the referee sent me off, straight red. And we were two up. And I thought, if we had a win that night, I would have, would have definitely would have won win the league, easy enough. But I think I'll maybe give them a bit of momentum, because I think it was about eight minutes to go, and I got sent off. And... I came into it for two up and I sort of thought, right, I'll get charred and whatever. And, and I, all the boys dripped in. I thought, right, what happened? I thought we'd lost, but it ended up two each. And they went on that season and beat us by the one point, no, whatever, so many weeks later. I thought that was, that was probably, it's one of those ones where you think, was that the side that gave them the momentum? Because we were well ahead at that stage. And I thought, was that what give them the momentum? Because I thought that would have put us way beyond them. And then you go into that last game and we, we had the big cold rain and they had the big Cliftonville. At half time, we were 1 0 up. And I think Cliftonville was 1 0 up. Mm. And we were winning the league. And then I think it was after about 70 minutes, the over was packed and you could have heard a pin drop. And it was the weirdest. I always remember that because it was so eerie and quiet. And it was like a, I mean, it was near enough like a, an early pre season game with, with no crowd or no atmosphere. And I thought, oh, and I, I didn't sort of thought something's wrong. And then I, I sort of asked one of the guys on the side, and they said, Yeah, I think Clinton put it down and pulled it back one each name, two one. And I think that they ended up three one. And that was, that was, I actually remember that season weirdly. 
because of that feeling of, of losing. No one working so hard. I mean, Irish Cup. Irish Cup's brilliant, though. I thought Cola was for all these experiences, counting on Shields. But the league's a different. The league's just special. When you win the league, you know, you, you've done something right. You've done something right as a club, as a management team, as a player. And and that was a different blues than that. that. That was probably, that was one of the hardest times I was at. And obviously, I know the clean sweep, the potential clean sweep, getting beat by, by Cold Rain. And we missed out the clean sweep. That was... Uh, no, that sort of ruined everything. All the all the all the things that would win the league and you know, all that ruined it. Getting beat that final day. So there's a couple of memories there that you remember more than the, the good stuff. But yeah, that that, that yeah. <laughs> so I suppose the season after that, uh, when when I think it was Michael Neiman that came in that year, didn't he? And uh, that was an awesome side. I mean, Michael was a pleasure to play with. Michael, funny, funny character. Uh, Really funny, good, good, really good at children, really good with the lads, blended in right away. But um, Michael coming back from from Scotland, that's the he uh, yeah, he just brought that wee bit extra that we probably needed. No, you're you, you no, it's composure in the ball, it's you no know, balance, you no know, keeping the ball. We had a fantastic side that year, I think. And you you know, Tim was playing on his skin, Nicky, Leaper. He'd obviously brought Sass in at that stage. Which strengthens up, and you then add it and Nets as well. So, Andy and, uh, scored about thirty odd goals. Well, uh, Andy, yeah, Andy, Andy was uh, that year. Andy was uh, phenomenal because I remember Andy playing Avon, I think the year before, and he was pacing, but it didn't really read him. They, I, 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 but when he came in, you could see he worked so so hard in his game, and uh, and you, uh, I mean. For me, that season, I always everybody always says about Andy make a big difference. But you'd you'd make a hard end and likes the darn armor as well. Darn armor was awesome. So good. You were, it would. He would I, I never thought he got the credit. I always say, I always speak to him, myself and Lieber always talk about him, and uh, we say that year if you if you picked anybody in your team who'd be one of the first in your team, and he always says armor. Because when you had, we all call, call him dangerous DA. <laughs> he was he was as mad as a hatter. Obviously, off his rocker. But the having your football team and uh, and to play with him, he do anything for you. Absolutely anything. And and he didn't get the credit for you know, all the stuff he done on the pitch. No, he he worked people in the corners. He closed down. He pressed constantly. Never. And I know Andy, Michael, and they all did, but. Him especially, you no, know, he had that. He he probably what the others didn't. None of the, none of the forwards I'd ever seen had it in their game. He had an aggression that I hadn't seen in years in his game. Where and his and his, even holding the ball up, holding people off, he was really strong, but aggressively strong. And uh, but he he had a high high skill level. He scored some unbelievable solo goals that I don't think. I mean, uh, one of the cup finals, I'd watched them. Uh, I think myself and Sass were suspended for it midweek one, and we beat Limfield that day. And I, I think he, I think he scored two maybe, and one of them he scored from about twenty five yards out. And that was the two 0 That was the County Antrim Shield. That was that season that we lost out in the title. Yeah, but, yeah. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. He scored that day. He just tore Limfield apart his own. He was just a big strong boy, uh, but you wouldn't have thought it. But Darren, he just. It was as if he, he was just, by the way, I heard Elliot's interview, which was one of the, probably the best interviews I've heard. You know, and he, he sort of, he made the comment, um, I, uh, 
I wake up thinking about Glen Turn to go to sleep thinking about Glen Turn. And uh, and uh, Darren Armour would have epitomized that for me as well. Darren, Darren, when Darren played at the Oval, just wanted to be there. He was just, he he, he just loved, he loved Glen Turn, he loved playing, he loved the boys, but he just loved his football so much there. And he, he just, I mean, Darren, I don't think he ever missed training or anything. He was brilliant. He was so good for the team at that stage. And, and brought a big character in the changing room. I mean, the, the boys had, had him tortured, but he's very funny. No, yeah, you're right. it was actually it was zero two three season. He scored uh, in that their county championship game, so it was that season because he could have scored. He could have scored at the Andy Smith, who was wide open, and instead he hit it from thirty yards and it went in. But yeah. he, he was, you know what, um, Mark, you're the third person to come on this podcast and talk about Darren Armour and um, such affection and how good he was. And one of them is actually Curtis Allen, who played with him at yeah. Lisburn Distillery. Um, Nicky said the same, and then yourself. It's he's he was very underrated. Him, Andy Smith. And Michael Halliday scored something like seventy nine goals that season. Like that's mental. I, I, you know, in that season, I think Nicky and uh, Nicky and Sass were trying to get into double figures as well, and they yeah. were competing against each other. I mean, it's funny because Roy Coyle played me part of the season on the left with Sass, and I freaking every time I look, Sass is a head off me. <laughs> <laughs> At every corner he was up, and, and I'm, I'm sure that was nice to play against down that left side, bringing myself and then Sass. <laughs> he was he was so aggressive, so aggressive in training and everything. But uh, that man, that team, um, I mean, no matter what you look at, you'd also strength and depth as well in that squad. So it wasn't just the starting eleven. You you just a, a, a probably eighteen really really good players. And that's, I suppose, that's what wins. That's what consistency wins your leagues and wins your cups. You, you have a squad, a good squad, and they were all really strange at that time because you had a lot of lot of local lads playing as well. I mean, you know, probably you'd mentioned some of them: Darren Armour, Michael Holiday, Colin Nixon, Paul Lehman, you had Gary Smith. You had all these guys, all local. Well, I suppose Alliance is sure old man. But you had all these guys who were local guys that were just busting the play for the club. I was I was brilliant. It was actually, I mean, for me, all the football was brilliant, all the trophies, though. But the 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 fun we had, the changing room and the, and the training sessions and all the way to go, were like a band of brothers. were really really close knit lot, and uh, and uh, you can see that. And we all know we all end up good, well. We're still still keep in touch with most of them. Um, so we're we're all good good friends. I Michael Neil won't answer the phone to me. I don't know why. <laughs> Is the the that their season we lost obviously we got the duck now this is this actually happened to you twice um your team twice but we lost points in a registration um issue with Andy Clamorton it was the 12 points and we originally got gotten taken away and they gotten now got gotten given back um and I asked Leaper about this too. What how did you feel at the time? Uh did that galvanize the team or was it real kicking the teeth? Because uh, we are from top no, to bottom. I, this, this might sound freaking weird. We, that didn't matter. Because uh, we had a mentality. We all wanted to play football. We wanted the team. We all wanted to play football. And it wouldn't matter if they took 30 points off us, but I still fought for every point. Um, and uh, uh, this might sound strange. Everybody's up in arms. As a players, we weren't. We just seriously just get on with it. Just go, uh, whatever it is, it is. Well, well, no, it's, it wasn't. It was outside of our control. So, no, we were just there to go play our football, have fun. 
win as many trophies, win as many games as possible. And that's that's what we're trying to do. And so for me, that didn't have an impact. It was just we were going out want to win games. I mean, it's one thing Roy Coyle was very good at. Roy Coyle, you weren't you weren't looking at six weeks ahead or twelve months ahead. You were focused on your next training session. And you were focused on that next game. And as soon as you no know, win, lose, or draw, as soon as the game's done and dusted, your focus right away was not very next game. So it, it was a great mentality to have. And you no, know, I used it the rest of my career was just focus on what's in front of you that one game and, and nothing else. Because I mean, you no, know, I've been injured enough times to know you get an injury, you miss a cup final, you get a suspension, you miss something. So you can only focus on the game you're playing in at that given time. And my mindset was always not, not looking ahead. It was just focusing on that next game and, and trying to enjoy it. And, and you now trying to, I mean, I was, uh, for me anyway, I'd always uh, probably quite selfishly always focus on what I can do, you know, and what I can do for the team, but also what I can do for myself in the game. You know, kind of, you know, I was always wanting to score. It was probably, that's why I get into the box a lot, but it was, you know, Always felt great to score. So why why wouldn't you want to score? No, so I always want to hit free kicks. Always want to get involved in the game as much as possible. And another one trying to be players. Always thought can I beat somebody? Can can I put through somebody's legs? Can I? Oh, all things like that. So no, that that was always my focus, and it was never. I mean, the the points thing. It was all over the papers, and I don't you know. It's like a fair up reading, but I just I didn't focus on it one bit. I just got on with with football. And would you say that the the two thousand three final against Corian was the biggest disappointment in your career? I mean, you were you were denied a stonewall penalty in that game. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I probably, I mean, I was disappointed myself because I, I, I probably lost my cool completely. Well, that didn't take much to lose the cool back there, <laughs> but I, I'd, I'd lost the plot a bit after the the penalty decision. I mean, I'd shown the referee. I'm not mentioning, but. I mean, to this day, I was distraught uh, thinking about it. When I, when I look back, it's, it was a bit of a nightmare because I'd get in the box, I broke away from McCaster, and he just went right down the back of my leg. And actually, my leg was swollen and bleeding after it. And, and I got up and I thought, well, that's a penalty. And my leg was actually numb. And I thought, he's really caught me. Am I going to be okay? And I sort of up and rubbed the leg. And... And next thing, I thought it was a penalty. I thought he'd blew for a penalty, but he ran over and whistled for a free kick and booked me. And of course, I, I can't say what I said in the podcast, but it wasn't nice. <laughs> uh, and and I, I probably, yeah, I overstepped the mark with the The referee got completely wrong. And if you ever watch it back, it's embarrassing how bad it was. Because, no, that's probably, I, I still believe that done us out of the, the clean sweep, that, yeah. that one decision. And if you look back, you know, it was uh, there was a stonewall penalty and, and the book me as well. And you no, know, I, I felt there's no justice in it whatsoever. And I when I looked at it, I actually when I got up and I, I started looking at it, I got booked and I, I went to run, I thought, no, and I couldn't leave it. And I kept at the referee and Adam and Adam and Adam and I just I'd lost my way and I was the same with McCaster. <laughs> the things I was wanting to do to him at that stage. <laughs> and I just I mean, I'd lost my cool, and I, I thought at that time, I mean, that's the one thing I would say, the, the manager, you no, know, he got me in, and he, I, I wasn't settled, and he took me off, and he, I, I always thought he should have kept me on and settled me down, and I still think that I had a big part in the game, because I was driven, I was fit, I was, and uh, 
and that was a disappointment that day because no, it obviously won. And, and that's I can I can actually see sometimes one look. I watch a lot of rugby. I like the rugby as well, and I love the way the referee, the referee's decisions, final and everything else. But what they say goes. But they have they have the opportunity to play stuff back the way VAR is. They can see you no, know, there's a, a genuine mistake, you no, know, or a foul, whatever it's picked up on. Uh, and back then, just you no, know, I, I just that, that's that's the f- complete frustration with it all. I was, I'm looking and going, freaking referee ruined that whole season for me with one decision. Even though we win everything else, I, I, I just and that, I couldn't let that go for years. I really couldn't. It was just it's so frustrating. I still see the referee from time to time, and I just yeah, that that one decision uh, that changed that that probably changed everybody's season that year. All the interim supporters, the management, the players, because we had a we had a one one up at that stage. Yeah, and then, then you had a completely different cup final because you had a very, very strong Glen turn. Bear in mind, uh, here I'd say Cole got what they deserve. When you when you beat anybody, you get what you deserve because you sit in, you defend. You, football, you you read a certain amount of luck and whatever else. And they had a very dead Gareth O'Coyne, players like that playing for Packy, Jody Tolan, did a really strong side. But with the side we had them and the way we were playing all season, um, I mean, I think we scored early on. Coley in that day defended unbelievably the whole game and, yeah. and we really had a chance to defend it that well but it was it was all it was a game played especially you know the, the about 75 minutes of the game was played in their box yeah um, but that, that was probably that was that by far that one decision was the biggest disappointment in all the, all the sort of career because that 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 would have brought you that clean sweep that everybody craved and everybody wanted. And yeah, I mean you you'd already laughed Nicky and Alia here with so many appearances and everything else. Would have been nice for them to have that as well. And it was, but we did win the league that season, and it was your first league winners medal. Um, and it was obviously with Glen Horn. What did that mean to you? Um, I mean that's that, that's the one thing that said earlier that yeah. I mean, everything you do, the Irish Cup, what, four games in the final or whatever it may be, or four, you win it. No, and a lot of the other cups are like that. No, you, the most you play is maybe six games in any cup to win it. And and you, if you're lucky enough, you get a, an easy uh, two or three games leading up to the semis in the final. So anybody can get into those you know, those cup finals. No, you've seen it time and time again. You've seen it recently in the last few years in the Irish Cup final. No, you're a, a really strong Ballamard making the final against Crusaders. So you have always a chance for the cup. No, everybody's a chance for the cup. The league, you don't. The league, you have to perform consistently week in, week out. And it was one of the ones, even as the Crusaders, was disappointing because with a, I think with a, a fifth place finish and a sixth place finish and with really strong sides. And I think this is a hard, hard league to win. Um, and, and yet, no, I've friends that have loads of medals. How do you win that year in, year out? And it has, and it's usually Glenn Turner Linfield have done it for years, but you have to have that level of consistency. You know what I mentioned earlier, Marty Quinn's Cliftonville side are so, so strong, but they just didn't drop points. They just they grinded out results week in, week out. 
and rightly deserved the league. You no, know, we've seen it in latter years where you no know, our Crusader sides, strong, strong Crusader sides, you no know, weren't expected to win the leagues, up there challenging win the leagues. And and then you're sort of you're looking, you've had it with Linfield for you know the last three years, they've just consistently win leagues. And yet you've a Glen turned side that's seen as a big two that haven't been competing until recently. And now all of a sudden we're we're competing again and you're going to get that level. It's so hard. Many of these boys, you asked, I did know it's played the over for years, and you're thinking, well, somebody played the over so long, you'd, you'd think, Frank, maybe they've won the league six, seven, eight times, but you don't, it's that hard win. So that one was the win the league. No, that meant more than anything. That really did. I mean, playing in Europe and all brilliant, great experience, but to have that consistency and win a league and work so hard all season to win it. Yeah, uh, that uh, yeah, I think everybody you know probably uh, looks at their, their their sort of success and their careers in different ways. But for me, any league win is probably the the pinnacle of what what you can do in in, in any league. We've got revenge um, on Cody in a year later, and that's another game that you could have actually had a goal in. Um, had it not been for a fellow called Gareth McCauley, I'm not sure what he made of himself, but the. Was it was it sweet to get that result a year later? I was I remember Gareth made a block in that game, stopped you from scoring. Uh, Michael Hall, that was Michael Holly then scored. So, so yeah, but, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's strange because it hurt so much the year before, and you were glad to get it sort of. You were glad to know that it was weary because you're going into that game knowing that they beat you that season before, so. That usually we were very, very confident. We had been all the previous year, you know, the confidence sky high. Get into that. I didn't have the same level of confidence getting into that cup final. I thought, I think this team, you know, they shocked us before and they beat us before. And I thought, we just need to be professional. And I thought that game were really, really professional because we've we, done all the right things. You know, we, we played good football and we had to defend, we defended well. You no, know, we got our. We got our goal, and when we got our goal, we didn't do anything silly. We actually, I always remember the end of that game, um, run the ball into the corner, and knowing our supporters, the Glenturn supporters, it, it could be 1 0 with five minutes to go, and instead of the team in the corner, they'll be saying, Get in the box, <laughs> and I always remember some of them shouting at me. I, I was in the corner holding the ball, and I come and finish, Get the ball in the box. Get them. And I go, <laughs> and you're sort of trying to tell someone it's the sound. I'm sort of holding the ball in the corner, and I was laughing. I always remember something I was laughing for. I thought, Frank, I'll hold it in here, mind I, I was more, as more, I knew it was only a minute or two left, and it was just wasting a lot of time. And I, I was sort of, we're running the clock down, to, obviously, to get the result and keeping it high up the pitch. But I always, that's very, it's strange how some things stick in your head. That was one of the funniest moments. I'm sitting in the corner, I'm sort of laughing at myself, holding the ball, because my supporters are trying to get the ball in the box. I'm going, wise up. So that, that, I mean, it's strange what you remember these times, but that was one of the things that stuck in my head. (laughs) You're trying to win a game. Yeah. Do you you bagged your second um league winners medal then uh, in 0405, which is obviously the famous Morgan Day season? Um, although of course on Morgan Day, Stephen Parkhouse actually played centre midfield. You were just getting back from injury, um. But you, I, I, I don't really. That was I really enjoyed that season. That was a brilliant season, and I I put, I put my hands against Colby. Actually, I still remember it. I hooked the ball out of the net just as we were playing it, and I'd been up one end, just had a shot, and then down the other end. 
and literally hooked the ball as I hooked it, overextended, and I just felt a wee twinge. And I thought, fuck your hamstring. And I, I come off I come off right away thinking, right, okay, because I knew would would know with a lot of big games and I, I no with a good run in and I was getting tight. And I come off and I'd sort of about three weeks rest and I was back training and I felt great. I felt absolutely brilliant. And we trained on the Tuesday. I, I trained brilliant. I really felt fit and strong. And uh, and I looked after myself up to that point. And uh, I trained on a Thursday. And of course, all the boys, as I do, you know, big two game, you know, they knew it was a sellout. And they all sort of protecting the team. And I thought, I'll be it. But no, I wonder if the gaffer will start me sort of thing. And that was my thought process. And I thought, well, I can't leave me out at freaking flying and training. Had a great season. No, he didn't have much options at that stage. I thought, well, he has to play me. And uh, we went to see the, the, the team. He'd left me out. I was like, but not just out of the team, out of the squad. I thought, what's he playing at? You know, I thought, no, I, I, I it wasn't that I wasn't. I thought I was going to start. Never mind, I wasn't in the squad. Uh-huh. I was distraught. And of course, I went and see. I went and see him. And he said, "Gaffer, typical gaffer." He's, actually, he was probably right this time. He said to me, "Son, you, you're not right. You're not right." He says, "You need another week." And of course, I don't think I need another week. <laughs> I need to play this game. And of course, uh, so myself and Sass uh, headed off the. To play at Windsor for the seconds, so the 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 change that in early kickoff to allow everybody to get back for the, the big two game. So yeah, so Sass and I played over there, and, and the gaffer was probably right to be fair because about about forty minutes into that game, I felt the heaviness in the leg, and I, no, and I thought, Frank, if I did the big two game with that, I probably wouldn't have lasted. So he was probably proven right. Well, he was because obviously Parky scored, but um. I always remember myself and Sass coming back over after the game. I think myself, Sass, and maybe Chris. There was a there was a handful of us anyway. We had to play with the reserves, and and I looked and uh, you know, the the squad of our boys that were between injury and playing for the seconds that day. No, it was four or five of us starting line up. We're all sitting up the stand, and I thought, oh dear. And I was worried for us because I, I thought that that was a strong. Linford were getting stronger and stronger back then. I thought, like, this is going to be a hard game. And I, I always remember walking down Mercy Street towards a game, and I've never seen this, I hadn't seen it in years. Actually, the queue was down to Mercy Street to get into the ground. And yeah. the sun, it was a, I mean, the sun was split the street. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. And I thought, hey, this is unbelievable. I can't believe missing this. And I, my, head, my legs were heavy at that stage. I knew the golfers right. So, so watch that. I mean, what an album. Brilliant to watch. I mean, really, really brilliant to watch. Brilliant atmosphere. Two sets of crowds singing the whole game. Um, uh, and I thought, I was got it, missing it. I was really, really got it. I mean, it's another one, another one of those regrets, but I mean, you can't help. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll keep in touch more from time to time and trust him to pop up. <laughs> I mean, we didn't, that, that's another guy we probably haven't, haven't mentioned that had a fantastic career, both well, both. Uh, he also Crusaders, Limfield and Glenthorne, and uh, everywhere he went, he scored goals. And Chris, Chris was a bit of flair about him as well, and it probably deserves a lot of praise that people forget about. You know, that they remember from Morgan Day, but Chris was a fantastic gift of player, very lovely, silky touches in the ball, very skillful, and uh, a really crisp finisher. You know, very, very smooth finisher. Yeah, and and what a nice, no, a nicer guy. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. I, I was always wondering, it'd be a weird thing to call it anything else, but Morgan Day, I, I always thought about this, could that have been Lockhart Day? <laughs> a holiday day might have worked. I don't uh, know about holiday, he has enough days. Yeah. I wouldn't have worked last day. I was always thinking, if I doubt what day it would work, but I suppose Morgan Day, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that'll live with every glam man for forever it's uh i was just a whole atmosphere not there and, uh, and, and and you know what we played i mean i said earlier there's not a lot of football playing in those games but we played some good football out there and i thought that you no know, as tight as it was but definitely deserved the result and that season that whole season would played well as well so yeah it's proper to the uh, season and steam parkhouse was actually good it was the first time i'd ever seen him play that position Pat McGibbon, man of the match, he was class. I watched the back yeah. in the lockdown, uh, and it's yeah. mad the things you forget. And uh, he was brilliant, Pat McGibbon, so good. Pat, uh, yeah, another one. Pat was a silky player, probably ahead of his year in, in terms of come back from England. Wanted to play all the football and, and came into a game that was very, uh, very aggressive and tight and closing down a lot of physical stuff. But and Pat managed that. Pat, they were was quite a strong big lad as well. And sometimes you look down, you didn't see it, but he was he was aggressive as well. And Pat could handle himself. I think I mean he had a few injuries and different things, but he came in that season and the, the games he played, he's he brilliant for us. Yeah, but big Parky, yeah, I never forgive him for taking my place up there. <laughs> well, it was you see, you got the write your name and lights the week later anyway at CU um scored. 2-0 win, deliver the league title up on the fence, you and Tommy McCallion. Lovely job. Thank you. Nobody else remembers that. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody remembers the week before. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, you know what? I, I, I was still seeing them missing the week before. And and to be fair to, to, be fair to the manager, no, he, he probably should have, he could have stuck with who played the week before. It would have been, been really justified. No, And uh, the change of went inside, they got back in and was delighted. But he, he probably, I mean, he wouldn't have listened to me. I mean, moaning for months if he, if he wouldn't have played me the next week. But uh, yeah, I know I, I, I was so hungry to get back in playing because I, I had a really enjoyable season that season. And uh, and I, I said that, that was the season Crusaders went down. Yeah, I was going to say, was that strange? Yeah, it was. It was because every time I went over, I was treated very, very well. And anytime I still go back, no, obviously Jim's a sample god wrestler, so he's away now. But every time I went over, you know, there are a crowd of guys there that sort of always welcome me, you know, always good to see back lucky and and you no, know, and that's what I loved. It was a family club. And uh, so there was always that environment anytime you went over, there was always a bit of banter with them. So we were always made to feel welcome. And that's I never I mean, them going down, I was delighted to you know the squares, you probably see them up the top of the fence. Um, I was delighted with the result. No, obviously, win the league. I, I then went to their playoff game. I went and watched their playoff game against Glenavon. Uh, uh, it was the, obviously Glenavon. I, think, I can't remember where the actual time or normal time to beat them, but Crusaders ended up going down. And I was sort of, some of the people say, Oh, you had a hand in that. And I thought, No, not really. I mean, they, they didn't have a great season, but that was when Stephen Baxter, I think that was his just first. Took, he just took over. He just came out the tail end that season, and I mean, look at the look at him now. Right? So it was probably one of the better things. That, it's not good for anybody to go down, but they galvanised themselves. You know, they put an unbelievable side together. Even back then, that that a lot of youth coming like your young coats. I think he was playing left back. Colin Coates yeah. then when they were down. Garth and McGann. We David McGann was another one. 
um, beaver, you know, all these young kids. Big chicken was another one, the big board. So you had all these kids that actually went down and they starred in the championship level and got them straight up and just excelled from there. And, and you know, David Rainey ended up going to him. He ended up putting an unbelievable squad together. And, and within a few years, he was winning trophies. And, and they, and, they, they came up in the finished mid tape. They didn't like go straight in the relegation scrap. He had them, you know. There was that level of confidence, and they were that young. And and Stephen is Stephen's a Stephen Baxter, massive motivator, and the changing room. And and you can imagine, you know, that there was a real belief he had. Those kids believed in each other again, and uh, and from win the league as well. You no, know, obviously they win the championship, so there was obviously um, you no know, a belief that they, they could do well. And you no, know, like anything, youth, fitness, and and motivation, and you no, know, it carried them a long way. The things next season. Um, 2006 didn't go quite so well for the Glens. Uh, the Blues done a clean sweep, and Rory Coyle lost his job. What was what was that like? Was that hard? And what was Coyle like to play under? Yeah, that that was difficult because we'd still we'd still a lot of strong players still in their prime. Um, yeah, you could see the team sort of breaking up. I think Pete left, a couple of the other ones left. Um, uh, Michael Neal was away. Uh, there was a bit of a rebuilding exercise, and. Uh, and some of those players coming in, no, it was a struggle for them. That no, come in there, you're coming in the high, high expectations, winning every year. Um, yeah, so th- there was a lot of change over that period. That 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 season, that that the gaffer gets sacked. Um, I, that was so unfair. I know the, the expectation was so high after winning, but I mean, people didn't. The, the, the people didn't really look at what Linfield had done at that stage because Linfield had put together an unbelievable squad. No, there was the finances there to do it. No, and I, when I looked, their their squad no was really really strong, and it wasn't just no a strong eleven. It was a strong twenty two, and and that finance to do that back then. Um, so you could see them getting stronger and stronger. I mean, the the, the Pete Townsend and Glenn Ferguson partnership. I mean that was awesome. I, I mean, Glenn Ferguson in his prime, um, and uh, and Pete, I think Pete Thompson that that season. Actually, that season we I didn't think we we're playing overly badly. Uh, I think it was more that they were so good, scored so many goals, and uh, they were beating teams every week, three and four. I think like I think that season somebody says they both scored forty goals each. Yeah, I mean we finished so, set. We finished second, so it's not exactly. We finished second, and actually, we had that season. We're beating most other sides. It's just Linfield were so strong that year, and uh, and it's one of those things where you you they're two front men, we're just scoring for fun every single week. Which I mean, I think uh, we lost Andy Smith that season um, with a couple of injuries, and you no, know, all of a sudden you didn't have the same momentum. And then you no, know, I again. And this is something that always stuck in my head. And I spoke to a couple of ex-players about it, and I thought, you no, know, over the years with some great forwards, you no, know, and you and you've mentioned some of them. You had obviously Andy Smith, but Andy Smith was only there a season and a bit. Um, you had Michael Holiday, who was brilliant, scored unbelievably important goals, and you no, know, and what we remembered for his Irish Cup winner, but oh, constantly scored goals, always an important goal. Darren Albert said didn't probably get the credit. But was so good. It's probably Darren Armour's teammates would probably recognise him more than the supporters and, and and press and things. So in a team, you recognise what other people do for the team. So you look at these players and, and Chris Morgan coming in. 
Chris, fantastic, silky player. But what we didn't have at that stage was probably what Benfield and, and Porta Down did. No, was saying, uh, was it Haylock? I had Haylock halfway through one of the seasons. And you can see... You know, I took, that Haylock. was probably early, that was 2002 maybe, running around there. Yeah. And, and I think he only played for... I think he scored about 12 goals in, in as many games. But what he'd done with a team holding the ball up and, and communication, he was phenomenal. And I always thought, you know, if, if Arkins or, or, or Glenn Ferguson, and I said this to some of the other players, if you'd had that sort of forward as well at the club with some of those other ones around him, you know, where they're at the club for a number of years, you no. Know, at the club for six, seven, eight years, no, that are scoring consistently, no, 20, 30, 40 goals a season. No, I looked at the rest of the team. I looked at no, the defence. Our defence was probably the best defence for six, seven years, do I? I mean, when, like, I always, people say, what was it? What would players like to play with? I mean, when you talk about the likes of Nicky, Nicky was a fantastic player, absolutely full of confidence, no fear ever. No matter who you're playing, Nicky would take the ball. Mark Glenn Denning, no, people talk about Sass and they say, well, he's an all time best left back in the history of the Irish League. No, and nobody wanted to play against him. He scored an unbelievable amount of goals. I think you're looking, you might see Pat McGibbon with Chris Walker, with Gary Smith, and with Paul Lehman, all fighting for sort of two places. So, you and I'm probably forgetting some players, but you look at that. And with Elliot, who you know from the wage has been phenomenal, of course. So you, you look at that back five, the keeper and the four defenders. Would by far, I thought would I know people say to me, oh well, Linfield's defence was good back then, and I thought we had the best defence for maybe a good six-year period in that league. And and that's what I mean. That's what Coyler always said. No um, forwards win you game, defences will win your leagues. And no, we based it in a really strong defence. And I always thought we're always creative and we always had creative players. I mentioned some of them, Scotty, very creative. Uh, Tim McCann, really creative. Um, with Marty Hunter and, and for a bit, and different players, like Ram Barry, Andy Martin. But then you might go Nate, you throw him in the mix. So you had a lot of creative players there. Um, and and you had good out and out centre forwards. Now, I mean, like, well, I say good, Andy. Uh, Andy Smith went on to play 10 or 11 times maybe for Northern Ireland um, Michael Holiday still playing marvellous career Darren Armour's I can't speak high enough but, and, and Chris Morgan and then after that I think Gary Holiday came in but we, we, I always say what, what would it be like if you kept Haylock for two or three years what would if you if you'd have got Glenn Ferguson playing for you uh, no or, or, or Vinnie Arkins I always just thought imagine have one of those sorts of goal scoring forwards that, that did score you every season 25 30 goals. There's a fellow funny about Celtic at Coiler said he always tried to get uh, what did you call him? I can't remember his name now. He felt like I think it was Donegal Celtic. He's out on the Coiler, he was a center forward. Coiler said he tried to sign him every season, he wouldn't go. Was no, no, it wasn't Jody. See, Jody's oh. signed for us. Jody, yeah, that's right. Was and Jody, Jody's um, when he first came in. Jody started a house of fire and then got a, a bad knee injury. Yeah, he did. And he was out so, for basically the whole season. Yeah, yeah. And Jody looked as if he had huge potential. He was aggressively strong. He, he had everything. He sort of, you know, he'd never be. He scored great goals. But it didn't, because of the injury, it didn't happen for him. So, you'd, uh, I mean, I, I can't even think who Donegal, who would, who would have Donegal Celtic or Don Player. I'm just trying to think of a fortune in the league. 
See, at that stage, I mean, your big forts, you, 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 was it Paul McVeigh? You'd obviously Haylock. Paul McVeigh, was it? Paul McVeigh, I, I maybe. Know. I just remember, I remember the it go doing the rounds in, in the in the papers at the time. Um, but Quarter was always trying to look for the next, the next forward. In that 06 season, um, we were sort of unfortunate. I think it uh, Chris Morgan had problems with injuries in 2006. Um, yep. but also so did Sass. Um, Leaper was out for he lot he, well, he, he shoulder. His shoulder Sass done his knee. I mean, a load of players. I think a load of players that yeah that were out for long, long periods. Scotty broke Scotty broke his leg for a third time. Yeah. So yeah, would and, and that, that I mean you're right when you miss Sass out of a team, Leaper out of a team, Scotty out of a team. And then the likes of Pete Lees and a couple of other ones away. It was really, really difficult. Unfortunately, you're right. Chris was in and out. He had a few injuries. And then with sign with obviously Mucker there, Darren Fitzgerald, good, another good man of mine. Darren had so much talent, but he went through a series of injuries. And then um, I suppose his big problem was he probably won the same for Linfield instead of Glen Thorne at the time. <laughs> he was a good man of mine. Do you never hear the story about Mucker? No, probably not. Dale always tells me there's some class stories about him. I was a mucker. Mucker was one of the funniest guys in the change room. I mean, he's really great, great kid. But Mucker was a, a really, I mean, when it came to finishing one on one or, or no, if you got shots out there, Mucker was clinical. He always found a bottom corner and you could see why he played at the Rangers. And he had turned pace as well. Now, early doors, you know, he started like a house on fire. But no, like everything, crowd in his back. The over was that's hard to win. Once a crowd turn on you, it's hard to win the crowd over. But they're always saying the reason the crowd sort of turned on. They always thought he was a Linfield man. And uh, as the story goes, uh, Mucker's a tattoo in his chest. And uh, we're right one night. I told a load of Glen supporters, it's a Linfield tattoo. Oh, no <laughs> so way. they all thought it was a little for years. So one of the one of the times he scored against the Blues at Windsor, and he took his shirt off, and it was meant to show that it wasn't a Olympic. But he had a vest on. He left his vest on. You couldn't really see. So the league <laughs> manager was trying to pull him. That's why he didn't take the vest off. His Olympic <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have a little tattoo, but he was always a blue man. So <laughs> uh, maybe Elliot was right. The devil. Oh, Frank, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the changer, it was a funny place. I mean, the changer room, Roy Coyle, no, ruled the, ruled the roost when he came to, no, he was quite strict. Um, uh, he, he kept uh, no, a really disciplined changing room. And the boys, as they do, would have to let their hair down from time to time. So there was a lot of joking, a lot of messing about. And, and uh, so, uh, as, as they all do, people get nicknames. And of course, I don't know why I didn't do much wrong, but they called me the devil. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, with uh, yeah, so I um, yeah, that that sort of stuck for a while. Uh, I was probably, uh, I mean, a change room was uh, it was a fierce place to be, and it was a funny place to be. But uh, as, as players do, they go up the stupid stuff and yeah, and uh, wind each other up. And so yeah, I don't know that that name stuck for a while. I forgot about it until actually I forgot about it for years until I did the, the interview I did on the, the the other week and uh, he phoned me after the apologise and look I'm sorry I'm so I, <laughs> I just don't think so. I, I know we're all like back then it was the place was crazy it was well I had to let her hair down one way or the other um, so yeah it was uh, so I got, that name stuck for a while. <laughs> Well, when Quarter went, um, 
Paul Miller came in and his his tenure at Duval, he was a young manager, it was short lived. Um he managed us in the Irish Cup final that year. Um and then the following year he won the League Cup um against Linfield or no against Cliftonville, sorry. And then he he was on his way out. Um it was sort of around that time then that Alan McDonald came in. But this was before yes. before Alan McDonald came in, obviously we appointed Roy Walker. So Roy Walker yes. would, have, would have been manager at Glenthorne, but he didn't have the appropriate badges, and therefore we had to go to Al McDonald. And it was yeah. at that stage that you decided that you were going to seek a new challenge and go to Crusaders. Yeah. Um, yeah. What sort of made that decision for you? Because um, was would you have stayed basically if Roy Walker was there? I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, there was a lot of change going on at the club. The board had changed. Different things had happened, like all clubs, and um. And after so much success, when you have a season or two without without winning trophies, that was a strange strange environment to be in. Um, I mean, um, Paul Miller coming in, Paul Paul was great with the boys, really good motivator, good coaching, good sessions, young manager, great ideas. Uh, and I think Paul was so unfortunate because the expectation was still there from Roy Coyle. So Roy Coyle, no, Paul got the sex same treatment as Roy Coyle got. No, Roy Coyle came from winning leagues and all of a sudden a season later has a bad season to want him out. Paul yeah. Miller faced the exact same thing in one season. Um, and it wasn't that Paul Miller no, brought in Gary Hamilton, uh, Kyle Lane, brought some great yeah, players super. in the club. Um, yeah, and, and some of the football things we played was great at times. He brought back Tim, he, Tim McCann, uh, who had a, a resurgence at the Oval, and Gary yeah. Smith, yeah. So, so, and, so you're looking at going, Frank, what they do wrong? When the Palmer didn't do anything right, he actually, he was a great motivator. It was just the expectation there was to win the league. And, and you had still a very strong infield that were still winning, that were hard to knock off the perch at that stage. And, and so the expectation, I think, at that stage was probably just too high. And they, the, the Glens, like, listen, Al McDonald come in the following year, win the league. And uh, and was still hounded, so because yeah. the football wasn't good enough, so that that just tells you a bit about the expectation of the club, and that's all what I talked about earlier. You no, know, that mentality that if, for a manager, I mean, it was bad enough for a player. For a manager, I know, I mean, high Roy Coyle cope with it, and high high Paul Miller and and Al McDonald to try to cope with it. I mean, the, the pressure is intense for these guys. You no. Know, as a player, you go, you play your game, yeah. You take your criticism when you're bad, you take applause when you're good. Uh, a manager, he's dependent on his players playing well all the time, bringing the right players in, doing the right thing. I mean, uh, Paul Miller at that stage ha- had to compete against the same Linfield side we competed against the year before, and they cleaned up. They were still a really, really strong side. Not much had changed. That actually, if anything, that that strengthened. Um, whereas we'd seen the opposite. We'd seen players. Starting to leave, we'd seen injuries, some players getting older. So, we probably it was Paul Miller to refer to him that, that brought in some great talent when he when he brought in Kyle Leland and, and Gary Hamilton. And the two, I mean, there were two great additions to the squad, but but again, there was there was still, I think, there was a bit of a rebuilding exercise, and maybe Al McDonald no done a bit more of that rebuilding. I mean, it, it was a Daryl Fordyce and players like that he brought in, but. To, to win the league that year, I thought was a bit of a miracle on his part. Uh, I thought, because I, I didn't expect, I'll be honest, the Glens to win the league that year. I just thought Linfield were still, they still had that strength and depth in their squad. And on, although he's rebuilding, I know that obviously 
I, I mean, winning it that season was probably a shock. I did. I didn't think that I win it that year. No, I mean, I was delighted to see it. I was good to see it come away from Windsor again. But um, yeah, I mean, that that season with Paul Miller, the reason I mean, I, I actually one of the stats Paul was telling me one of the stats at the time, him and Andy Matheson. He says. Lucky, I don't know why you've realised that. I think it was Andy Matthews who tell me at the time. He says, every time you play in the team, we, we don't lose. And I thought, that was great. No, you, you know, chest puffed out, you feel good about yourself. Uh, but I hadn't played enough. I'd, I'd, and it was one of those ones I knew something wrong. I actually ended up with the hip replacement later on. But I, I kept getting my right hamstring going. I, now I strengthened it down everything I could. Made sure as soon as I felt it, I'd done the stretches. Um, but it, it all in that season, um, it, it, it again the hamstring went, and I I, and I got a uh, scan that was like a, a fair tear in it, and it told me look, it's a it's probably a, a two month injury. I was like two months. So after two weeks, there were you no. Know, I was training. It says, oh, you're fit to play. I said, look, I'm really not on that, and and it went again. I, I came back early against Portadown, and it went again, and then. Uh, I think it was the game against them at Windsor. They were under a bit of pressure and win much, and I'd been out for three weeks. And the same again, uh, Paul asked me to play, and I played in that. We ended up, I set the goal up for Gary Hamilton. I think it, was, it ended up one each. And uh, I don't think I, don't, I actually don't think I played in the losing side that year. But uh, I, I, again, I'd, uh, the hamstring went at, uh, just uh, at half time, and it actually was a lump, and I just thought, oh, you know what? I actually felt like retiring. That's that's the truth. I was just getting that fed up, and I th- I was just distraught. No, well, we hadn't won anything in a couple of seasons. Um, um, my right hamstring was going constantly, and I was really getting the stage. I, I had considered retiring, and um, when when they get sacked, I thought, no, oh, that'll probably do me. And uh, I thought, Leonardo McDonald got the job, and I, I didn't hear from him. I'll be honest. This point at the time, but I thought, like, that's okay. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then Stephen Baxter phoned me out of the blue. And Stephen, being Stephen's a great communicator. And uh, after a 20 minute chat with him, I thought, oh, you know what? Actually, he says, come and help me with the young kids. Come and help me you know, get this young team together and galvanize them. Come and help lead these young lads. And the way he sold it, I thought, well, this is a new challenge. Uh, get myself ready again, get this leg sorted and things. And once Paul went anyway, I thought, well, no, I, I see a lot of change doing. I thought maybe it's time for him to go. I hadn't I'd been on holiday and I hadn't heard from him. And I thought, dear from the manager there. And I thought, no, I had an option of a year extension that I'd, I'd signed before that. So that that said like sign two years with a, the option of one year extension. And uh I'd spoke to him and then he'd sort of said, Are you going to resign at the end of the season? And I was I was huffing a bit because of my hamstring. I, I didn't sort of re-signed a contract that stage and then when Alan McDonald came in um, he, he didn't phone me didn't contact me I was only after I spoke to Alan he says like oh you didn't phone me I said, <laughs> I said like oh maybe I wasn't part of your plans I said like uh, as I it's worked out well for him anyway when the league and things and gradually he's a gentleman by the way nice nice such a nice guy um, so yeah I mean it worked out for him anyway. He put together a squad that won the league, uh, and I was delighted for him. He, as I say, such a—I mean, honestly, a lovely, lovely man. Uh, lovely man to change room, 
just a and, and even I'd say good good way about him, uh, football man through and through, and just horrible what then you no know, obviously ill health and things after that had affected him, but. I went on and actually had a really good season at Crusaders, a really enjoyable season. A lot of young lads, loads of new friends. But actually, I was, I was really starting to feel the hamstring and the groin more and more. I thought, I'm going to really have to retire because it was really, I mean, it wasn't sleep at night. So I was playing a game, um, uh, coming home, an agony all night, about night packs, all sorts of my knees, my groin, my ankles. Couldn't figure out what was going wrong. And this went on and on. And so at the end of that year, Crusaders decided to retire. And uh, and that lasted about two and a half months. <laughs> Boredom set in. Uh, I mean, I still remember uh, my wife now sitting in the settee one Saturday. And, and I was that bored. We, uh, we'd done it two weeks in a row. We'd open the bottle of wine on Saturday to watch a local sport. <laughs> I thought this... I, I can't do this. And I, I started thinking things again. Went on holiday and I was then that sort of, but I, I mean, at this stage, I was just wanting to really settle down and enjoy stuff. And I was, I thought I'd go and help somebody or coach or do something. And I ended up with Banger for a season. Was that Marty Quinn? Yeah, that was, that was funny. That was a good season. Marty, Marty is a, I mean, a real character. Just, I've, I've, I've heard a lot about him. I've heard he, he's about him smoking fags at half time and <laughs> Marty's Marty's training gear. Oh man, I, I think Marty was still wearing the training gear that he won the league in with Cliftonville. <laughs> <laughs> Banger about ten years later, Marty Marty was hilarious. Marty's just a any player that I respect has played on Marty. I love him. He's just a good way with players. Now you don't you wouldn't mess with him either. He's freaking, but he's yeah. a character. He's just a, a real likable guy. Um, so I only got half a season with Marty, and it was a, it was an experience. <laughs> it was a, he's a, yeah. I, I still remember taking a couple of training sessions. He, he had us run up and down hills. Is this everyone I am? Old school. Old school. Yeah, I, I, I always remember. I told a story to a few of the boys about the uh, uh, Jack McGovern and David Dorian weren't there one of the weeks we're, we're playing Linfield at, at Bangor and uh, of course uh, Linfield all this professional warm up uh, Roy Coyle used to do the same thing Roy Coyle would have went across and watched whatever premiership side or was Liverpool or, or whoever it was um, I remember we played Liverpool and we were doing a warm up and we're he changed our warm up and we thought Frank where's he picked this warm up from and it was the sexy warm up as Liverpool was doing <laughs> The boys are laughing. So, so uh, Linfield banger at, at banger, and of course, I, I looks down and there's Linfield really professional warm up, and Marty lines us up in a big, a big row, everyone behind each other, and I was like run round the half. I was left hand down, right hand down, up and head, and uh, and then he, he kicked the ball. I, I hope he remembers this. Be here, so he kicked the ball in the middle of the pitch. And he says, "Lucky," and he says, uh, "Um, I said yes, Marty, get the ball." Huh? Get that! Get the ball! He says, "What are you kicked it? He's going to go for you." He says, "Get that! Get that!" And he starts yelling. I said, "I warmed up my hamstring. We'll go." <laughs> mad, mad, Zander. He's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant manager, brilliant motivator. I mean, yeah. Uh, the first, I think that I was just back from America at the time. I was, I was in holidays, and so I was back late because I wasn't planning to play again. I was booked a summer holiday. 
I was like an arm closer, so I'd put about a stone on. It wasn't good. So I was like working with ourselves to try and get the weight off. And uh, of course, um, so the first game was sub, but I was sort of behind. Marnie was giving the team talk. And one of the other boys says, okay, how many Fs there is now? I got about 50 odd Fs and give up. I've <laughs> 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 never, never heard a team talk like him for life. It was another monitor. I mean, I was quite fortunate in that when I think about all the monitors over the years as well. Some cracking monitors and cracking guys as well. No, and, and even no, you, you look at their success as well. Roy Walker, Roy Coyle, really successful monitors. No, Stephen Baxter now, another successful Marty Quinn. No, for what done Cliftonville and Cole Rain. No, really, really good monitors. Yeah, and even, even the early monitors, they always had mad men, but like Jim Wilson, he was. He was actually a really, really good manager and really brilliant with the team at the at the Welders Nice team back then. So you had always good people around you that you know that that wanted to win and and you know and really good motivators as well, all, all in different ways. You no, know, Marty would have been uh, every other sentence. You no, know, would have been blue waves and swear. <laughs> but um, uh, Roy Coyle, Roy Coyle, some of his team talks were <laughs> biblical, I suppose. He was brilliant. His team talks were class. Uh, Roy Coyle, Roy was um, uh, technical and, and very disciplined, his team talk. So you had all different approaches. And uh, so uh, some great match. And, and Stephen Baxter, as you know, and he's proven it time and time again, an unbelievable uh, motivator of, of, of players. So uh, really good sort of playing the managers over the years as well. Because you had another, re- you had a reunion with Roy Walker, and then am I right in saying that you retired um, at the age of thirty-eight? Actually, so you ended up, you were thinking of calling it a day at thirty-three. You ended up playing with thirty-eight. Was that under Justin yeah. McBride? Oh, uh, well, no. I spent a, a left banger. The, the the wheels come off a bit of banger. Unfortunately, they didn't reapply. They actually started brilliantly under Marty Quinn, yeah. and we put together a great squad. There was a, a centre forward. Um, who uh, should have? I mean, should have done. Should have played Glenn's Blues or something because he was phenomenal. Andy Murrow, right? Andy was probably Andy would have been that forward you could have put into the Glen Turn team. They could have played there ten years and scored you twenty five goals a season. He was so good. He was so technically good, and uh, he he was a bagger at the time. And we started off brilliantly, and you know, he's a great young squad and some brilliant players. And we're playing some great football under Marty, and we're aggressive as well. No Marty sort of approach, no stuck in, no, no, it was all about winning the first ball and things. So we'd start off great, and then they didn't apply for the re-entry to the Irish League. Even though we're, we're sitting, we started the first six weeks, I think we're top of the table for about three or four weeks. Uh, and come sort of Christmas period, we're sitting mid table. Um, and we were strong, we were looking strong, and we could have, we were hoping he was going to add to the squad as well. But a couple of uh, sponsors left, directors left, different things happened, and it didn't reapply uh, for the Irish League at that stage. So they were going to go down anyway, no matter where they finished the table. And that was like a mass exodus. And uh, I'll be honest, I, I, Roy Walker came in, he's a Balmina, and I was going to go to Balmina in January. And I thought I was enjoying it, and I stayed at the end of the season. <laughs> no, I had a really good six step back and really enjoyable and lovely club lovely people and I thought I, I was actually still enjoying football I thought you know what I think well, with some painkillers and a bit of rest between games I thought I could play other season and I went to Bellamina yeah. and 
and and uh, that Dalmina side, you know, you've uh, you've some players still playing today, like your young Michael Smith, the right back, yeah. that uh, went on the hearts played hearts and things in Northern Ireland. I, I gifted gifted player right throughout it. No, really, Kevin really strong side. Kevin, well, I was going to mention Kevin Calby played for this the season I was there. I got I, I got Andy Smith to come and sign for us. Oh, that's right. So Kevin and Andy were playing up front. So the, the terrorized defenses, we, we were really, really strong that season. In fact, I think we got to the sort of the, um, in the second half of the season and we're, we're competing with everybody. Um, but again, no, we didn't have a big squad, but a, with a strong 11 or 12. Um, uh, but we didn't have a, like a big Albert, who's well are now. He was playing centre half at the time. Um, so you, you had a really, uh, I mean, with, with a young Sean O'Neill in Nets at that stage, Ogres. Yeah. Was doing that, so what a really strong team. But um, David Coos did another one. Coos was on that side, um, and we were competing, and we we're competing well. And we're a good plan, a lot of youth and and some experience with himself and Andy Smith. I think Gary Haver, uh, Gary Haven was there for he he was in. Uh, he I think he broke his leg earlier this season, so he he only came back later, later that season. So there was some good characters in the changing room. Gary McCutcheon was, was uh, here. He was. No, no, he wasn't that season. He, yeah. I think he, he that season the Larn or back to our Crusaders, maybe it was. Uh, yeah. So what a really that was a really good club because though they redeveloped the back of the ground, um, they were you know, putting all the new pitches up and things. All the new stand was there. I mean, they were still having problems with the pitch, you no know, the weather and things then. But Roy had put together a really strong side, and and he offered me he wanted me to stay on for another season. But the going the sort of three nights a week and things and and I love the training. He says like you you can die once a week. And I said, oh no, and I was sort of trying to get down two and three times a week. And the second season, I, I, when they offered me a new contract, I, th- I thought about it. I thought you know the traveling. I was trying to pick some of the boys up in Belfast the way through, and you you having to get them at five. You weren't getting home to maybe ten o'clock at night. And I, I thought I, I, I no business was going well and things. And I thought maybe maybe I'll find something local. But uh, I was also starting to really struggle at that stage with, oh, I thought it was McGroins. Um, and McGroins were, well, I say McGroins, McGroins were in fire, my knees were sore. And, uh, I thought, right, I'm, 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 no, I see, can see why people retire when they hit their mid to late 30s, because you, you start to feel it in every part of your body. So after training session, though, I'm lying with pillows propped up under my knees, ice packs on. And I was just training. And then the match days was worse because you were literally lifting your legs in and out of a car on the way home. You know, and, and usually when I went out for a meal or something, gone with those days after a game on a Saturday, especially the Bell and Mina and things, I was having to go home and go to bed. I was that sore. So I thought that, that this uh, this is it for me. So I sort of thought, no, that's me done with the Irish League. And uh, I was... Tommy Kincaid was running ours at the time. He he sort of says, "Look, would you come in and help me coach?" But he was fly. Uh, he wasn't looking me to coach. He looked me to play still, because I went down to coach and he was coaching. He said, "He says, look, would you play up front for me? Would you play at the back?" So same sort of thing. I, 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 and I'm still enjoying it as well. So I played for Tommy. Um, Tommy lasted about four, well, Tommy's there for years, but he lasted about four or five games. And uh, he, uh, I don't know where he fought or whatever happened, but he, he left anyway. And Tommy's a great, Tommy's a brilliant coach as well, a good guy. And Justy came in, Justy took it over. And then uh, sort of Justy said, Look, help me do some of the coaching things. And that was, I was actually starting to enjoy that. 
but he still had me playing and I got there I got there about Christmas and we're in three G as well. Um we're training we're training between Queens and Ashfield and I, I'm not sure I was in pee, I was in genuine pain every time I trained. I was just eating like probably most people get to that age when they're still playing. The ones that don't, they're very fortunate. I was like eating eating painkillers, thinking, oh dear. And I was a more I was even even then the days of rest, I was sort of stiff and I was actually did myself warmed up for a training session or a game. I was I was taking ice baths and all sorts just to try and get right. And I thought, oh, this is it. And I was actually I didn't want I, I was actually still wouldn't any games I played really enjoyed and was really enthusiastic, especially with all the young lads trying to build into them and help them. But it was just became a stage where it was just too painful. And when I, I finally halfway through that season I had to I had to wrap it up. It was just and it was like the very next year I was told I needed a hip operation. And then when I got a few x-rays and scans and things, I said you actually need two hip or you need both hips replaced. So I had I had actually I had 39 I had my right hip replaced and 40 40 well near 41 I had the second one on the left one. Mad. So, I mean, I was ready for him back after that. I could have played another few seasons after that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, the surgeon, I, I, I'm back training. I know it's mad. He says, no, hi, I'm packed up. We still are here. Oh, you'll be back in five years. And of course, there's me joining in. I, I helped. I, I took over Scirocco for a bit. And I was, I was literally joining in all the training sessions and freaking absolutely idiot. No, pinging balls and all stupid stuff I was doing and, and of course it was a surgeon then said to me like you don't have to stop all this no no high impact and things so I suppose that, that was about nah, that was about what 78 years ago and I'm still stupidly doing running and yeah, yeah well the only thing is now my, my left one's actually starting to play up and I hope I haven't damaged it oh, well it's that- stupid but then, I mean, that's not something you'd like to go through, the hip replacement. But, I mean, I've been fortunate. I got that double hip replacement. I'd be able to go training, out biking, uh, go to the gym, go to spin classes. And, uh, I mean, no pain whatsoever. So I'm sort of pain-free for maybe the last nine years. And that's been really, no, I've been really blessed with that as well because, um, it's allowed me you know, to be mobile. To actually, I mean, anybody in sport, you know, yeah, wants to come away from sport and they can fill their time with something. And a lot of people stay in it. Coach and I know a big fan, Paul, across the road from me here. He's he's commentating and things. And a lot of the other ones, Colin Nixon, you know, still down coaching. Michael's still playing. Um, so you have all these guys, and it's hard to walk away from you. You know, to fill your time. And at that stage, when I couldn't do anything, I mean, I, I was I was still. In fact, before my first hip operation, I was still trying to run. I, I'd done a, my last park run four weeks before my first hip operation. <laughs> yeah. So it's just madness because you're not used to training. It's that, that, that's the hard bit. So uh, then as soon as, I, as, far, as as soon as I got the first operation, you, you started getting the pine. So I went from about 12 stone to about 15 stone within a six-month period. But you touched on it there briefly um, about management. Then you had a taste of management. You dipped your toe in. You managed Scirocco Works for a while, and you also had a spell at Dundella. And I know that um, when Nacho Novo played for the Glen Torn job, he was keen to have you on his, on his management team. Uh, do you think that you'll ever go back to that at some stage? 
No, 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 it's just food. Look, anybody, it's a, a doc, my captain, anybody on my own. Um, so I, I'm trying to run a business, I run a business, and they're, they're on a business, and or anybody working, I'm trying to manage them at the same time. Uh, no, hats off to them because uh, I know a lot of managers are full time now, and it needs that. You need that commitment because when I think of all the managers over the years that know that I've been running from a job to management, it's impossible because the things people don't see all day is that the phone will not stop. No. So while you're in your business, whatever, your phone's going constantly. No words, words, players, coaching staff, management, whatever it may be, directors. The lower the level, the more you're involved as well. No words, involved in training grounds, involved in, you, know, you, you get involved in every aspect of the club. So the, the Sirocco thing, I mean, for me, that was because of a few friends down at Sirocco. And I, I, I was down to help. Uh, and I ended up, you get roped in and you know, doing everything to you in every session, organizing, helping organizing pitches, players, all sorts of things. And, and in the midst of that, you go, how the fuck did I do that? And, and any of the, these managers and coaches that are doing a minute, when I look at them and go, it takes over your life, it takes over every aspect of your life. No, uh, are you hard day? No, what you're doing in work? No, whatever you're doing, no, it always revolves around. Your two coaching sessions and your Saturday. Now that's fine if it's only two coaching sessions on Saturday. But ask any manager, any coaches that all the day. No, uh, you're prepping for your sessions. No, so you turn on your build up, you're prepping, you're talking to players, you do everything before you, you actually go on the pitch and coaching. Then you're talking to them after, and then the next day you're talking to them. You're talking. And then you get the the Thursday, you're doing the same thing, and then before Saturday you're really prepping the. I used to prep late on the Friday night, early on the Saturday morning. Sometimes it's up at six, doing working out, you know, what I was going to do, as well as coaching it on a Thursday and working out your, you know, your your game plan and your obviously the points you want to get across to the boys and your team talk. So you're sitting doing all this, and it just eats loads of time, and 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 they all do it. <coughs> all the all the managers and coaches out there, that's what they're spending their time doing. They're not, no, it's not, and they're actually. They're prepping constantly, so the amount of background stuff you're doing before you actually, before you, yeah, you know, people just see a manager as a manager on a Saturday, or oh, somebody's taking their coaching session. Joy, that's never the case. They're involved in every aspect of it, and no, I'm done over quite a bit now. And even I see the the work that goes on in the background there. I always see a snapshot of it, but I know Mick and Wendy are. Every day for them, every single day. Um, I let's interview back to that interview. I don't know. I just coaching that as well. Uh, player coach, and he says he, he wakes up, think about Glenturn, and he goes to sleep, think about Glenturn. Right, and that was by the way, what a, that was one of the best interviews I've ever heard. Because as a player, as an ex player and a coach and a manager, it hits every note. Because you no, know, you do. You that's your thought process. You no. Know? Football, football, you wake up. Football, you go to sleep. No, everything in between. And when you're involved as Elliot and, and Mick and Wendy and all is at the Oval, every, everything they do every day revolves around football. So to answer your question, would I go back into management? And that's it. No, you need to be mad. <laughs> Anybody can do it needs to be completely dedicated because it takes over every aspect of your life. No, I mean, ask my wife, my kids, all the years I've played football, no, what was it like? I said, uh, my wife, I've never seen him. 
Yeah. Senior, senior nights because you train so much during the week. So even as a player, you know, when we were playing the, at the Glens and Crusaders and all them years ago, I wasn't just training twice a week. No, I would have went to the gym on a Sunday, um, maybe a Monday, went out for a run, train on a Tuesday, done something on Wednesday, train on Thursday, had light stretches on a Friday, you know, uh, or whatever, massage, whatever I had to do, and then played on a Saturday and repeated that. So your whole week revolved around no eating right, well, some of the times, um, the eating right, no, no prepping right, getting the right rest period, trying to sleep at the right. No, so Friday night you're hyper for a game on Saturday. Friday, I always remember that was my where I can sleep on a Friday night. I just I was like up thinking about the game and what I was going to do and trying to get in my head what I wanted to do next day. So you actually couldn't freaking uh, you, the sleep patterns was a mess. To sleep and and then you you getting up next day thinking get enough sleep I'm not going to have enough energy, so yeah you're prepping constantly. So anybody anybody management of it, I mean, um, yeah, it's it's a big commitment, especially now with things going full time, um, and you know, it, I'm delighted they're they're all full time, but it's a massive commitment. So I mean, when I see the no everybody would want their team to win when I see things not going well on a pitch no you go what else can I manage to do sometimes no so I, I watch the games a lot this season uh, I know um, they're a great run there and then a few bad results and it's sort of it's maybe put a bit of pressure on these last few games no they'll need to win all their games and need to hope that other results go their way for instance but um, no when I look down here he, he's working constantly in the background he's trying to improve his squad so he's, he's bringing in more players constantly and then you're working on your tactics I know from speaking to him and speaking to the other managers in the league you know, they're constantly looking at, at stats and tactics of other teams so that, it never stops for them and then I know I just know from being down the other bit that they're locking on the background in terms of the development of the club as well and I, as you're saying with all the clubs at the moment they're all trying to redevelop and hopefully hopefully there's enough money released for them all to do that as well from the government well, I'm interested to um, sort of in summary get your opinion on something. Every time I'm, I'm talking, I'm in your company, um, talking about football. Uh, you're one of these people I could talk to you about football for hours, um, as this podcast is probably shown. Um, you've got a really oh, good, oh, <laughs> uh, you've got a really good knowledge of the game. Um, and so I just I've always said that, like I was always surprised that you weren't in management because of your knowledge. And there was uh, and there's loads of glam in to say that we've never replaced you as a player. And I would agree, like it's a it's a position that we've really tried to replace you in and we haven't got there. Now there was a question on the Glentorn Facebook page a few weeks ago, but which three players from the 2003 Glentorn team, if you could sign now, would you sign? And two of mine were yourself and Tim McCann, because those are the positions that we're lacking in, a right-sided player and a centre midfielder. So you see a lot of the Glens and a lot of the RC football. So I'm interested to see if you could sign any player from the league now, currently that you see they improve the Glens who would you love the Glens just to go out with a blank check and get um, oh dear I mean a couple of years ago I'd, I'd sort of always I, I thought um, the Crusaders midfield uh, um, is it Fordyce or Forsyth oh, yeah, is it? yeah Forsyth yeah He's Forsyth, Forsyth. Um, I watch him and uh, you know there's not many like him in the league yeah. He, um, he's tackling very, very good. He's tall, he's lean, he, he's a box to box player, um, he's fit. 
Um, and I've watched him for a few years now. He's fantastic. He's technically very, very good. Um, and I, I thought he would have been he would have been a great signing for the Glens. I, I thought even four or five years ago because he's still playing consistently well now. I've watched him for years, and I thought he would have been fantastic. He would have been fantastic over the last five, six, seven years for the Glens. Um, I, I think before Crusaders signed him, there was maybe talk of him going to the Oval. He was training with and, us under Eddie. He, he he was one I loved to see at the Oval. Now he, he's had a great career, absolutely brilliant career at Crusaders, but. I just as a midfielder, I'm watching midfielders and I'm looking I'm going, he's a yeah. talent, he's a real, real good talent. And and there's a lot of great midfielders in the league at the minute. And he's one of I would love to even now I still I think he's still in for three or four seasons. He'd, he'd, he'd be brilliant for us because he's got that that engine, he's got the fitness now. And him and Cadell together, no, that oh. that two in midfield. Brilliant. I mean the the they can both tackle. I mean Daki's maybe more aggressive and and uh and um, he draws a lot more uh, free kicks, and and now it's worked a lot more sent off. But the, they're a nightmare. They're a nightmare for any midfield because um, no playing midfield, you know what it's like when somebody's closing down, hitting you on top of you constantly. It's hard to play your game, and them two Crusaders have done that for years. Um, so yeah, probably him. And uh, I mean, in, in current squads, look at the current squad. I mean. I mean, really, really, everybody you go would just sign McCartan. If somebody would have said to me yeah. six months ago, I went get McCartan. Aye, hey, he's right. the past. last season? No individual goals, skill levels. Um, Donnelly was another one. The same Donnelly, and you're going, no, you want somebody to score goals, scores goals, and yet you'd already got McDade. So it's 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 a hard one. Locally, how do you improve? No, what players? I mean. That, that's probably looking at now. I'm, I'm going, it's a different one because they're strong as I've seen. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. You're right. I'm trying, I'm trying to find, that's the one weakness. Then. I mean, I'm going to say one weakness. It's probably not fair saying that because no problems, tackling, gift a player, great free kicks, great delivery. No, um, even the players, no, I'm looking at strength and depth and midfield to have. No, where they let young Gallagher go and they can let players go. So, I mean, you look about that league, and it'd be hard for another player to get into that team. No, um, it pr- probably. I mean, I like some of the alarm boys, but I'm just going uh, to be fair to Mickey. He's, he's probably he's went out, and he's probably had all these shoppingness and and taking the cream of the crop of the league. Uh, I mean, the expectation, no, in the last seasons, just went from there to through the roof, and. Rightly so, because of, no, because of the, the Irish Cup when they come in, win the Irish Cup, and then you go through, and, and that's and not just for Glentoran, but you go through the pandemic, which no, I don't know how strong a character you are and everything else. That was that's hard for players. No, I seen the Premiership in England. No, you've great players and they're playing with no crowd. They're playing the empty stadiums, and the, people saying you're fortunate to be playing. And yeah, I agree with that. But at the same time. There's nothing like a crowd behind you to motivate and give you that extra we lift. And I just I thought, you no, know, between the, the Irish Cup win and the end of the pandemic and everything else came in, it's been hard for all teams. And, and you no, know, and that's been evident, the Glens. Um, I think, you no, know, looking at the score we have together, you no, know, 
they should definitely well they are competing in the league um but i think there's more in them i think there's more to come um i think mix put together an absolutely smashing squad but i mean that aside it's, it's still a strong strong league no you have, you have people saying well uh they said to me well you, you have two or three teams full time they should be way ahead of the other teams well i'm looking at the clan turn squad and linfield squad and uh, I'm going, well, yeah, the massive squads. But when you look at 11, V11, you look at Crusaders, and I look at the 11 Crusaders players there. No, Heatling, maybe. Another one. No, I forgot to mention him. No, I, I mean, he's been fantastic for 10 years. Ah, he's so, super player. Absolutely, 10 years. He has been fantastic. And you go, right, well, then you look at him, and you go, well, would he go in front of McMenemy? Oh, well, probably not. They've got Ben Kennedy there. He, he's, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think Healy five years ago or two years ago, I mean, he walks into anybody's team. Then they're going, well, as the agent, but he's still fantastic. I watch him. I watched the, the televised game the other night against Cliftonville. And Cliftonville, by the way, are brilliant football side. I thought Crusaders were brilliant against him. I thought Crusaders thoroughly deserved to be in a cup final. I think that especially the second half, they completely outplayed them. Their their attacking was better. On the ball, they were better. Their movement of the ball. And people say, well, Crusaders, oh, they're very direct. Not anymore. I've seen a Crusaders side in the last season. So they're playing some unbelievable football. And they're bringing these kids in that I've never heard about. They're all... In, I know Burns is still at the back, but you look at the rest of the squad and I'm like, well, where did he come from? Where did... So, no, there's there's been a development in that squad as well. So, yeah, uh, I, I think, I mean, it's so hard to, I would be so unfair with the team makes put together to go, who would you directly replace? Not because I think he's a cracking squad, obviously yeah. a cracking squad. I mean, if you have a team there uh, in Glen Turn where McDean's not playing, you know, no, that's a player last season that was starring for us. Everyone, no, and and Donnelly not getting on the team because it was brother starting. Connor not getting on the team, no, uh, and, and then obviously some of the guys injured as well. You know, I mean, it's a strong, strong squad. And no, I don't know, I haven't, haven't seen the guy power playing yet. Um, I don't know what I've seen him once or twice TV, but I'm going to go to the game away this week. But I want to go to the game next week, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he's like as well. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. No, I think you're right. The squad's that big. It's that deep. Um, just thinking, we were thinking, it was just, a, it was a sort of uh, question on Facebook. I was thinking, you know, if you sign two players, you get that right side of one, you get that center midfielder, and I think it would be sort of unstoppable. But you're right. Jordan Forsyth, great player. He put himself on the transfer list last season, and I thought, oh, we're finally going to get him. And then he signed right. a new deal. <laughs> yeah, so, he's I mean, I, I mean, that he's probably, the reason to say that is just, no, you said to him about, that midfield replacement for the likes of, I thought he uh, he was the ideal replacement for somebody the, the sort of game I have where where you can arrive in the box at any time and he, and he he's got the legs to keep getting in the box and plus you know he's tiny I think he's very very good in the ball so when you when you look at somebody like that I mean another player I've admired for years uh, is McGrew at Limfield I mean, oh yeah time and time again I know he's come to a lot of part of his career but I mean. He he's got that a bit like McCartan built something similar, but he's that lower center gravity and he creates chaos when he's run the people and he does this thing where he gets a deep and he turns early and he arrives and it's only maybe a twenty yard drive but it creates chaos because it brings people in the tackle and open space for other players and 
And I think McCartan can do that. You see him dropping deep, getting it very tricky. But he's obviously, McCartan's realising that, you know, even come the, I know he's been across in England things, but coming the, from Bellamina, the Glen Turn, he's getting closed down quicker and maybe still thinks he's at time the ball. Where, you know, it's, and it's probably taken, there was an expectation for uh, Shay to come in and uh, perform right away. And it does, it's, it's that bit and period. And I've watched in the last couple of weeks now, and I think his man of match last week, he's, he's started, of, yeah, because I'm, I'm starting to look at the whole squad and going, well, if we jail here in these last, was it five games? Yep, five games. Yeah, yeah. that's just, it's exciting to have a league where, where it's open to um, 100%. Three, teams, three teams to win it. And, and plus, with the European spots to play for, you know, you're looking at rejuvenated Crusaders looking really strong at the minute as well. Uh, I'm going for Crusaders looking strong. Coleraine, Cliftonville, you know, Larne. You know, that is a tough, yeah. top six. Yeah. No easy and, and, and You're thinking, well, I'm still thinking Slim fields to lose. I should, that's probably most people. Are thinking at the minute because I mean, they always hear people saying, Well, you finish against Linfield, you usually win the league. But I mean, you've still, you've Linfield, Cliftonville, no, knack and knack, and they're both playing good football, they're both good squads. Um, but you look at, uh, I watched Lauren this year, and I think Lauren's fantastic at times. And I thought, Well, they can take points off anybody. Resilers can definitely beat any of the top sides in their day, and there's no doubt about that. Um, so you're thinking, Crusaders. Cody and Lauren will have a big say on on who's gonna who's gonna win the league. Well, that uh, just about brings us to the end of the podcast, Darren. Uh, thanks very much for coming on. I just want to say to anyone listening, um, there's an event uh in the Dundella in, at Wilger Park and Dundell Social Club on the first of May in memory of Darren's um nephew Dean. Uh, it's going to be Glenthorne Legend team play a combined Welders and Dundella team. There's then going to be raffles held and um, a night of entertainment in the Dundella Club afterwards. So anyone's interested in the ticket of that, you can give any of the Lockhart's uh, a shout or you can give me a shout. Um, we'll sort you out with tickets. If anyone has any ballot prizes they want to donate, they can do so. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Thanks, Matthew. I appreciate that. Thank you. So, Darren, thanks very much. That brings us to the end. You've been a super guest. It's been amazing to um, to look back um, through your career. Um, lots of great stories. And I know for a fact this is going to be a super hit with all Glenmen and Crusader fans and Irish League fans alike. So, thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me on.